0: You think it's safe to ask them?
1: Hear me, all you hosts gathered here!
0: <laughs> Kill everyone now! Condone first-degree murder, advocate
2: cannibalism, eat shit.
3: Well, I think we're about ready.
2: Quiet, everyone! Felt are my politics. Felt is my life.
3: From the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell. Welcome to Astro Radio Z. From the bowels of help to your blown-out earbuds, welcome to Astro Radio z 145. This is your cyborg co-host Jack Mehoff. Yes, I know. I haven't been on the show in a long time, but Derek has asked me to join in again and intro this episode. I thank him because being stuck in a supplies closet in the bottom of a bunker for years has left me with quite a lot to say and no one to say it to. After the craziness of Mockbuster Summer, and the Slumber Party Massacre films, it's only fitting that this episode centers around the three sorority house massacre movies. Beautiful ladies, skimpy underwear, stalking killers, and automatic machine guns galore. Wait, three movies you say? I only see two on the interwebs when I googled them, you say? Well, they made a movie called Hard to Die in 1990 that's basically a remake of Sorority House Massacre 2, so the boys Derek and Evan Shelton of The Lurking Transmission are going to chat their way through these three movies. But first, let's rejoin our best bottom shelf diver Daniel Edenfield from Monsters Magic and Mayhem with another segment of the bottom rack.
1: Enjoy Astro Zombies. Hi, I'm Dan and this is the bottom rack bottom shelf entertainment for your top shelf lifestyle I have a special film right from my collection my own personal collection if you will the personal library I have prison of the dead
0: Driving my car, somebody's using my name, somebody's kissing my girl. So, why am I doing this? Ain't no pink champagne. This is a folly.
1: That's right. Prison of the Dead. I actually hold the case in my hand. Yeah, I actually own this DVD. Uh, I used to own the VHS. And due to capricious youth and moving, I no longer own the VHS. But I bought the DVD, and I bought it side unseen. I actually got a really good deal off of it, but I'm I'm rambling about that regardless. Prison of the Dead, Full Moon. Uh, I'm not sure what this is, movie 185. It's from the Full Moon release, because it's pretty cool just holding the... Like, I actually hold the... Case in hand is pretty cool. Key art created by... Let's see. Key art was in 2013. I'm not really seeing a, a date on this. I want... Ooh, all right. So, let me... Pardon me. I'm rambling a little bit. I'll, I might have to edit. All right. 2000. Prison of the Dead from 2000 by Full Moon. Uh, and <laughs> if you've seen this movie, you're probably laughing like, oh, God, here we go. I'm trying to think of a good way... I'm going to try to think of a good way to put it. I love this film. I actually do. There's a lot to enjoy this film. and let's see if I could dissect it a little bit. So, first of all, <laughs> I just saw the box art again. <clears throat> Before we get into all the nitty-gritty of it, here's the, uh, is it Slug Line from Prison of the Dead? <clears throat> let's see if I can find... Here's the synopsis. Christoph, an eccentric, rich kid, tricks his high school friends into getting back together for a reunion of sorts under the pretense of a funeral. All right, this is stupid because it's like, this is the most... Oh, God. IMDb is certainly not high quality when it comes to just giving you a brief synopsis of the film. The best slug line, I guess it's a slug line for the uh, film is on the cover. There's no parole in hell. (laughs) <laughs> and for whatever reason, I'm hearing Master Shake in my head say it. it's no parole in hell.
0: Get out the in hell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Prison of the Dead. And we <laughs> all right, let's just go on and get into the box art. Right. You've got this mask thing with some C Photoshop CGI-ish blur with prison bars staring at you from behind the bars. It's like a skeleton face thing. And it says there's no parole in hell. (laughs) It's laughable. Prison of the Dead 2000 starring, let's see, it's a Charles Band production starring Patrick Flood, Jeff Peterson, Samuel Page, Kim Ryan, Michael Guerin, Alicia Arden, Debra Meyer, or Mayer as Michelle. And... I think Deborah Mayer's actually been in a few things. I'm trying to find... I can't remember if it's billed, as in directed by... Okay, it's directed by Victoria Sloan. And anyone who is in the know with Full Moon, and anyone who is not in the know is now in the know. Victoria Sloan is just a... Uh, what's the t- a pseudonym for David Dakota. This is a David Dakota film through and through. It's actually on the better side of David Dakota film, in that, yes, you do get a dude prancing around in his tidy whities but it's not really that setup. <laughs> All right, prison of the dead, you have it's a I'm trying to think it's kind of like your it's full moon had a habit of doing movies like this. It's the typical setup where it's either in a haunted house, some haunted location, and it does like your Agatha Christie's 10 little Indians or a slasher and that, you know, one by one they start getting picked off. It's a formula that quite honestly David Dakota excels at and there aren't too many people really in the indie scene who can I mean quite honestly who can really pull it off like David Dakota can and I say it because he's done several movies like this there is a formula and I I guess that's what I'm trying to get at is calling it the full moon formula there was a time and I'm guessing it's 2000 so you know the late 90s to the early 2000s Is what I would call the full moon formula, and if I remember right, what Derek told me is that it's like static cams, where you know there's not a lot of camera movement as far as you know tracking shots or anything. It just the cameras in one location, and the people they're moving, and it'll you know the next scene or you know another take from the same scene, and it'll be you know the camera set up in a different spot while they do it. So that's you're going to get that set up in the location, the camera work. You know Whether it's lackluster or whatnot, it's still that personality. One thing I've noticed with these films is that, and it might just be David Dakota, but in this, there's another movie called Witch House. There's another movie, uh, Shadow Zone, which is an older one, but it kind of does the same thing. The camera kind of starts bobbing. It's weird. It like rocks on this angle. It's strange to notice, and in some ways, it's a little disorienting, and maybe they did that on purpose, but all right, getting ahead of myself. The setup for Prison of the Dead. A group of kids receive an invitation that their friend Kristoff is dead. And so they have to go to this uh, a mortuary where they, you know, to have a wake like the night before the funeral. So, of course, it's a stormy night and it's out in the mortuary out in the middle of nowhere. And what you find out is that this mortuary. Let's see if I can remember. Yeah, it's an old abandoned witch's prison. So, all right, you got me. <laughs> I mean, right there, dude, they're going to an old abandoned witch's prison. What you find out is this group of. They're, like, mid-20s, maybe, or um, something like They look older. They look about, like, you know, maybe the 30s and stuff. But they're, like, they're out of college, and they're, you know, professional, young working professionals. But they used to have, like, an occult group, like a sort of like a ghost hunting group or whatever. You know, like ghost adventures or taps, stuff like that. They would get together and go to haunted places and research it and stuff. And they've grown up, moved on. And their friend Christoph was, like, the ringleader when he was, like, turbo rich And uh, anyway, he's dead. And so they go to they get an invitation. All of them get an invitation to go and see Kristoff at this abandoned at this mortuary that ends up being this abandoned witch's prison and no spoilers at all. But it's a trick. Kristoff isn't dead. He just wanted to get everybody together for one last hoorah. And the setup, I mean, that's pretty cruel, man. (laughs) I mean, that's a sick joke to pull off. But regardless of that... Is this the way you treat your mother? How inconceivable something like that is. All these people are together in a witch's prison, and then they... Do a séance. They read. They hear about the what I Hispanics call it the Creepy Pasta. They hear about the lore of this witch's prison and the inquisitors who would go and kill the witches, and that the spirits are somewhere there on the grounds. And then, wouldn't you know it? Of course, they use a Ouija, and of course, the uh, spirits start coming back. The spirits of the inquisitors come back, and the people start getting possessed by the spirit of the witches. And then the inquisitors are these zombie monster things.
0: <laughs> They can only be awakened on the night before Halloween. Like tonight. When a world... Like you. Places his hand on a tree like this and says... All right.
1: it's I know, that is a terrible setup. I almost feel like this is one of the stupidest episodes I've ever done just trying to explain something. I don't want to spoil this at all i encourage you to watch this film it's just fun this it looks so terrible but this is i'm telling you this is one of those fun diamonds in the rough as far as i'm concerned this is around the genesis of what i call the shitty movie sunday it's because of flicks like this it's turbo fun the setting of this film sells it. It's just this cool, creepy old place. It's, it looks like it was one half of a real location and the other half is probably just set designs and stuff, but it's the it's the David Dakota format. Gosh,
4: not again.
1: All the friends are there. They do a seance or a ritual. Bad things happen. Monsters come out and start knocking people off one by one. This is kind of cool because the people get possessed And yeah, that's about it. As far as the... You've got like a... Was it like a side story? Kind of a... I don't know if it's called a through line. And I don't really care. There's another... Story element to it and that you've got three other people who are hanging around outside looking in and you know There's a lot of twists and turns as you are wondering why these people are there trying to mess with the people With the group that are already in the mortuary and you got this other group that are outside and they start coalescing together You got <laughs> some really horrible CGI effects, but look All right. It's really horrible this is an indie film. Now, I know it's Full Moon and and maybe I shouldn't judge it as such because, I mean, by this point, Full Moon has established, yes, they're indie, but I mean, you got to kind of, you know, we, we can critique them a little harder because they are Full Moon. This is the latter time for Full Moon. This is like Full Moon coming down off of the high, if you will. It's, it's sort of a bittersweet if you, you know, watching this because you can see there's a there is an integrity and an earnestness in the filmmaking. There somebody wanted to make this movie. Dakota wanted to direct this film. At least it feels like that. Maybe he didn't, maybe he despised the film, but they made this movie and it was made it was made by professionals. Now whether they didn't like the movie or not, they still made it competently because it is a movie and I find it enjoyable. It could be better. And it, the story set up itself, and <laughs> it's not that. But I mean, look, it's got gore. It's got inquisitorial skeleton zombie monsters with weapons that come out. People get possessed. They start hacking people up. And yes, it does have a dude prancing around in his tidy whities. This is a David Dakota film, after all. <laughs> the comp effects, I think, is the proper term. Um, the VFX that they use just. Like eyes glowing, and there's like some ethereal, ghostly energy matter stuff that flies around. It's laughable, <laughs> it's absurdly laughable.
0: Yeah, but did you hear the one about the three legged dog that walked into the saloon and said, I'm looking for the guy that shot my paw?
1: <laughs> also, to note in amongst all this, the uh, the music's kind of huh, it does this subspecies five type thing where the movie comes on with this. Not really conducive to the film of this, like, techno-y weird thing. Like I said, Subspecies 4. You know how that movie came on? All right, this is how this one comes on. Only instead of seeing a montage of a whole bunch of subspecies clips, you're seeing other stuff. But, like, halfway through the movie, when, like, creepy stuff starts to happen, I started noticing there's a familiar sound like a choir and i was like dude i love that quiet sounds good and then as i hear it again it's like wow that sounds really good that sounds familiar richard band must have composed this no they they took music from subspecies and used it in this i guess that's okay seeing as how it is charles band's thing it just it was a little i don't know i mean if you've heard my other podcast subspecies is by itself so if you're going to make another film use another score. But then again, I mean, if you can't come up with something better, might as well take from the best. You know what I mean? Regardless. The... <laughs> does this film... <laughs> I'm still just looking at the cover. Does this film live up to the box art in this case? You know what? No. This movie is better. I know, it's kind of rare, isn't it? It's a strange one. I, it, this might be a first. Whoa, we might need some... Is this a first... I don't know if I... I can't remember all this shit that I talked about. It's, uh, this this might actually be a first for the bottom rack, but yeah, this film is better than the actual box art. This box art is laughable and atrocious. The DVD itself, I mean, it is what it is. I'm not getting into that. And that's not to say that the cover art isn't good. It's better than I could do. It's just... <laughs> when you're used to seeing the... Full, I mean, you know, you're used to the old Full Moon hand-drawn artwork. And that's another thing. It's... When I say it's bittersweet... This film is a reminder of the un, of the merciless forward march of time. This is a bitter reminder that yeah, you'll you might go to the top, but you won't stay there. And on long as I say, on a long enough timeline, everything ends up in the bottom rack. And that's kind of what this is. It's fun. I bought this. is this actually I think. And I don't want to give you the wrong website, but I think it's called like oldies.com or something. I bought Prison of the Dead freaking brand new, cellophane over. This This bad boy came off the shelf, off the <laughs> hopefully bottom shelf of their warehouse. But yeah, I bought this bad boy for like $2, I think, $3. Shipping was more than <laughs> than this. And I think shipping was like 4 bucks. So that'll tell you how much I paid for this brand new on DVD. And I am incredibly happy for it. It just, this movie's cool. This is the kind of stuff I, honest. all right, wow. Let's, You know what? It's been 14 minutes. Let's just talk a little bit more. I don't want to tell you something about time. My time is worth money. And I don't think you make that kind of money to pay me for my time. This is the kind of, this is honestly like the kind of film I want to make i know hold on i'm not blowing sunshine up anyone's ass least of all david dakota (laughs) mr dakota i like you i'm just saying this this isn't some kind of cheap thing or anything just hear me out this is seriously the kind of film i want to make the camera work in this thing well the lack of camera work regardless but the equipment used in this it's good equipment the cinema i guess the cinematography of it is clean. Everything is clean and clear. From VHS to DVD, this might actually be a VHS transfer. There were a couple of scenes in this where I actually noticed that they must have filmed at a different time, or they used a different camera. But it's it's not like bad, Is just, I happen to actually notice that, but I've seen this movie a whole lot. So, I mean, it. it's funny I have the box and can't even remember much of the story because it just... <laughs> anyway. The costume... Eh, but again, it feels like an indie film. This is, it was just made, the setting sells the film. And this is important for indie film. The setting of this movie makes it. You could do anything you want if you have a good setting, and that is the case with this film.
0: Like in real prison? Like in real, really, 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 real prison?
1: The costumes, as far as the zombie monsters go, could be better, could be a lot worse. It's got gore. The The acting, I mean, <laughs> the acting, it is what it is. I'm not expecting King Lear, and I'm not expecting Shakespeare. And so because of that, the acting is actually really good. A couple of the actors, you can tell, feed off of each other better than some of the other pairings, the way that they interact with each other. But in all, like this is the kind of movie I would want to make. It did, looks like it didn't cost a whole lot to make. It can't have, and it just is fun. The it doesn't have this broad sweeping narrative. It doesn't have a whole. It doesn't change locations. Like it stays in this one spot for the entire film, which is pretty cool. And just it deals with stuff relevant to my interests. <laughs> a Ouija board and possession and inquisitors that come up out of the grave and people get hacked up in dungeons and prisons and mortuaries and candles. And I mean, you got, it's just, it's a really cool film. (laughs) Do you realize you could have caused a serious accident here? Perhaps even a bloodbath. So yeah, prison of the dead. There's no parole in hell. (laughs) Still the box art is incredible. I mean, just, it is a thing to behold. Seriously. Prison of the dead, man, you should watch this. I can't remember if the, I don't know if this is on Amazon Prime or not, and maybe not, which is why I had to buy the DVD. Uh, if it's not on Amazon Prime, it really should be. I really couldn't. It, it depends. If you're a full moon lover, you've probably got this film or you've seen it. If you've never seen it, I mean, I really can't justify. I don't know what your budget is or what the value what kind of value you ascribe to the U S dollar. But I mean, I couldn't justify spending more than what three bucks on renting this thing. Seriously, it's on the full moon streaming. So if you're tempted to, or if you're looking to add up a queue of movies from full moon to watch, you know, maybe you're going to try out the 30 day full moon streaming or whatever. This is on full moon streaming. And this is one of the ones that I would recommend you watch. So seriously, prison of the dead (laughs) is better than the box art. And it's on a, on the whole, it's a really good film, David Dakota's Prison of the Dead from full moon it's been it's fun I'm Daniel, oh, and it's also got that line. I use it all the time where it's like the it's been real it's been fun, but it ain't been real fun and that's from this that's from this movie. what's her name uh Deborah Mayer her character Michelle she I think it was Michelle where the Cokehead she the really pretty Cokehead she says it in there and it's it just I remember that line It's really funny anyway, Prison of the Dead watch it, enjoy it I'm Dan. And uh, I've rambled a hell of a lot on this one, but it's still a lot of, like, serious. This is one of my favorite Full Moon flicks. It's just, it's a fun, I got a lot of good nostalgia wrapped up in this one. It's a shitty movie Sunday. Spectacular. So anyway, thank you very much, and I will holler at y'all later.
0: Somebody bake me a cake. You better stick in a fire. You better buy me a church. Let me i do it This ain't no paint H&M. shop, This is a ball and
1: You are listening to Astro Radio Z. Sorority. House.
3: Massacre.
0: After a weekend with us, you're going to want to join this sorority.
2: Maybe we are the haunted sorority house after all. You away. Am I crazy? Oh god. It's him. That's him. That's the guy from my dream. What's the
6: plan here, buddy? You gotta get the reason before.
5: House Massacre, a slash course in absolute terror. Welcome back. Hey, Evan, how you been, man? It's been like two months since we've done one of these motherfuckers. How you been? I've been good, man. How about yourself? Oh, I've been good. It's always nice to take a couple months off of the podcast and let Daniel Edenfield do the work for me. I don't have to I can kick back. I can get a beer and uh, enjoy life for a little bit and not have to think about all the shitty movies that my listeners always want me to talk about. And it's always nice to hear the mockbuster summers as they come. I think Daniel Hell and yeah. the crew really hit it out of the park this year. There was some really funny episodes. But oh, yeah. as always, we need to get back to brass tacks here. On astro radio z and talk about some quality filth and what oh, yeah. better quality filth to come back to than the sorority house massacre movies and serendipitously and this really wasn't planned this way um i believe uh listener and patreon subscriber mikey k recommended that we do this series next when i put the call out last episode um, oh,
4: nice, nice. Th-
5: this is actually tied to the last <laughs> series of movies that we talked about here on Astro Radio Z, the Slumber Party Massacre series, <laughs> but in a very shitty way, <laughs> like, like not done very well at all. Were you aware of this when we went into this? Is this the first time I have to ask you, is this the first time you've ever seen these movies?
4: Uh, no, The first time I'd seen Part two and Hard to Die, part two and three. I, I saw Sorority House Massacre, the first one, uh, maybe six or eight months ago when me and some mutant fam homies did a slumber party massacre slumber party. Mm. And uh, and we tacked on Sorority House Massacre to the end of our night. Um, and I was, you know... <sighs> Who many? Who knows how many bowls deep, numerous <laughs> beers deep, uh, and it just like washed right over me. I just remember thinking that sucked really, really? bad. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because I have a newfound deep love for this movie. <laughs>
5: but, Could it be that when we originally scheduled this podcast a few months back, uh, I asked us all to watch these in succession with the listeners – then we took two months off and decided and we kept rewatching them because we kept rescheduling this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So by this point, yeah. we've seen Sorority House Massacre, Sorority House Massacre 2 and Hard to Die at least 20 times a piece. Yeah. Yeah, really. So now are they your favorite <clears throat> movies ever? <clears throat> oh, wow. Um,
4: I, I'm not going to go that far, man, but uh, <laughs> they are certainly right up there. Like, uh they are now anytime anybody wants to talk about franchises or series or, you know, not oft talked about stuff, underrated stuff. This is going to be right up there with me, man, because I, it, it's not uh, it's not talked about enough.
5: I don't think so either. And I think <laughs> a lot of it is because people have kind of relegated this series to witchcraft status where it's just like, oh, really? these are just, okay. you know, shitty TNA slasher flicks. Uh huh. Which I mean, when we get down to brass tacks and we really start breaking these movies apart, if you want to superficially look at these films that way, you could. But oh, yeah, well, it, two and three for sure, two and three for sure. But they're a subversion, the same way the Slumber Party Massacre movies were.
4: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, um, and I, you know, when you say, uh, TNA slasher junk like what don't you just mean a
5: good slasher movie (laughs) (laughs) well you know me I'm not a huge fan of the slasher genre true yeah 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 so for me for for these kinds of movies to work they have to kind of go with a different angle not necessarily that tongue-in-cheek like we're just going to you know poke the shit out of the genre itself just do something different do something to entertain me because in yeah. my mind and I'll reiterate what we had kind of discussed before on the slumber party massacre episode these types of movies are cookie cutter and generally <clears throat> follow the same kind of plot and right. don't really do yeah, much yeah, more sure. than victimize women and make them get naked and get chopped up now th- hey i'm going to back up I know that's a lot of people's gig. That's that's what they do. <laughs> right. That's their yeah, kink. Yeah. And I'm for not sure. going to shame them mm. for that. I personally, as as an old school, like, okay, I'm not a young dude anymore. And I've seen <laughs> a few horror movies. I'm just kind of tired of it. So it just isn't my thing anymore. So to, to mm. come back to some of these movies, especially the Sorority House Massacre movies, um, and have them not be – complete cookie cutter, slasher, carbon copies of a million different other movies was so refreshing. It was so nice, especially when we watched the Slumber Party Massacre movies before. So this series, to me, is a good kind of like companion piece to those movies. Yeah, Um, absolutely, man. They're a multiverse, you know? Oh, my God. Should we get this out of the way right off the bat before we actually start watching the
4: I do. I think so. I think we kind of have to lay out the, the web of the multiverse of sorority slash Slumber Party Massacre.
5: Okay, so the, the Slumber Party Massacre movies, as we had discussed in the last episode, were a Roger Corman thing, all female directed, kind of stabs at in in kind of satires on slasher tropes in the slasher genre in, in general. The first one, even though it could be said to be a... F- pretty gritty down and out slasher film is a satire and it's very tongue in cheek if you sit and watch it multiple times you'll realize kind of the ingenious comedy behind that movie and then we have part two that is just this absolute like fever dream that wanted to be a Freddy movie mixed with Rockabilly and other just absolute nonsense um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that totally subverts and wants to just whip the bird at all horror movies everywhere Then we have a hardened, really ghoulish third entry, (laughs) and these were all, like I had said, Corman movies, and the Sorority House Massacre came about because Corman wanted to kind of capitalize on that same gig and do something just a little bit different that could cash in on the massacre craze. They weren't necessarily originally intended to be tied to the Slumber Party Massacre films, but... With parts two and three, which honestly, part three mm. is only in spirit tied to this because it's essentially a remake of part two, <laughs> 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 only with machine guns. With far more machine guns. <laughs> yeah, um, but part part two, directed by uh, Jim Wynorski, it was commissioned to him through Roger Corman's wife, who was starting up her own branch. Of the business in her own label. And they were about to tear down the set for Slumber Party Massacre 2. And she got a hold of Jim Wynorski and said, Hey, why don't you sh- quick shoot a movie here uh, for my new label? Uh, we're going to be out of town. Roger's not going to know anything about it. Go in there, shoot a movie, and get it to me. So he. he this sank, is hard to die? No, this is Slumber, pa- uh, Sorority House Massacre 2. So okay, got, got he, he went to the sets, he wrote the thing in like a week shot it in just a matter of days and then when they got back Roger Corman got caught win of it saw the movie and then decided to commission Wynorski to do the same thing for him only, <laughs> only they they switched it up slightly for that movie Right,
4: okay, okay. So so he did sorority house massacre two for Corman's wife and then did hard to die for Corman. For Corman.
5: Okay, okay. Same director, (laughs) same script almost, except for slight variations, same exact script, and I think Wynorski just decided to have a little more fun with Hard to Die. So, really, most people wouldn't necessarily lump it in with the Sorority House Massacre series, but we're going to because it's absolutely the exact same movie, especially if you watch them back to back. Absolutely, yeah. So what did you think after seeing all three of them and the ties to the Slumber Party Massacre Mm -hmm. films, what did you think of this grouping of movies?
4: Let me tell you, my first thought was that Orville Ketchum is the watcher of this multiverse. (laughs) The multiverse. (laughs)
5: <laughs> this is the Sorority House Massacre universe.
4: Exactly. And for listeners who may not have seen all six of these flicks. Uh, so in the Sorority House Massacre movies, you get this character named Orville Ketchum, who's like the creepy next door neighbor who has somehow he he's witnessed the events of Slumber Party Massacre one. And then the three Sorority House Massacre films. <laughs> He's like this omnipresent entity stretched out across all these stories.
5: It's oh my God, first time I saw this, it made zero sense to me i <laughs> mostly because it I don't want to get too far into part two before we mm-hmm. actually start talking about it but right there are certain times in in horror movies where I completely just check out and I think the first time I ever saw sorority House massacre, I checked out because They decide to build a mythology for this movie with the Orville Ketchum character only use footage, not from Sorority House Massacre one at all. (laughs) They ignore that Sorority House Massacre one ever existed. Uh, Yeah, fuck that. Mostly because Wynorski had never seen it. He said, fuck it. Okay, I'm, I'm okay. just gonna I, I saw a slumber party massacre. Why don't we just use that? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Nobody cares. So they edit this all together. They don't use the name Russ Thorne for the killer at all. They no. use they use somebody named Hockstadder. Hoxted. <laughs> and he makes up this whole new mythology using basically like a, a trailer cut. From Slumber Party Massacre One with the exact footage from that movie and makes up a whole new mythology for it.
4: So good.
5: So, so would you consider good. yeah, would you consider this an alternate universe Slumber Party Massacre? What is I mean, how do you reconcile yeah. that at all? <laughs>
4: yeah, yes, that is that's my my thinking of it. You know, I'm I'm well trained from uh decades of reading comic books to To navigate a multiverse. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, this is just some weird Earth 1, Earth 2, possibly also Earth 3 shit. Only a lot less
5: clothes, surprisingly, right. than the Slumber yes. Party Massacre movies. The, these yes. ladies, they cannot have full attire on at any point in, in the movies. So. <clears throat> Negative, yeah. Well, except for in the first one. The first one's a classy movie. <laughs> yeah, it is a it is a classy, classy flick. It's quote unquote classy.
4: So it's no prom night two. Hello, Mary Lou. Oh but my it's gosh! The, it's the second best Nightmare on Elm Street wannabe.
5: Oh my gosh! Uh, we'll have to come back at some point and do the the prom night series on the podcast because that's one of my favorite series. Not the first prom night. And yeah, that I can't fuck with that first one. That front well, the first one is essentially just a ripoff of Halloween.
4: And yeah, but it's not good at all.
5: Oh, it's terrible. It's <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's so absolutely bad. terrible. But parts two, three, and four of prom night are awesome. See, man, I still haven't seen three or four. Okay, so not to make this all about prom night, but we're going to make this all about <laughs> prom night right now. Part part two, uh hello Mary Lou. Mm-hmm is super fun. Part three was, don't quote me on this, if I remember this correctly, was made by the the same team that made part two. It's They're both Canadian productions. So right. it has a lot of the zaniness and kind of just go for broke, like weirdness of part two. Mm-hmm. And then part four, kind of like Slumber Party Massacre 3, goes back to a very mean-spirited slasher route. That the original prom night
0: was.
5: (laughs) But here tonight, we're not going to get super dark (laughs) whatsoever because we're going to talk about Sorority House Massacre 1 and Sorority (laughs) House Massacre 2 and Hard to Die. So let's get to Sorority House Massacre 1 made in 1986, directed by Carol Frank. Uh, This is the story of a little girl whose brother kills her entire family. And she escapes by hiding in the basement. At some point, he's committed and she grows up with a new family, eventually goes to college and joins a sorority. At this point, this is where we pick up in the movie is that she's older and having all of these (coughs) nightmarish flashbacks to a time that she has kind of like broken off in her brain and suppressed. And she can't figure out, well, why am I having all these dreams? Why can't I seem to deal with reality in the way that I should be? Uh, Something is happening to me. And it all deals with her and coincides with her joining the sorority and moving into the sorority house. All of a sudden, in a mental institution far away, this very silent guy. Starts communicating with her and breaks free and decides in typical slasher movie fashion to find them all and start killing off her and all of her sorority sisters one oh, by one. Oh yeah. That sorority house massacre. There's not really much of a plot to this thing. It's your it's your typical kind of like yeah, Halloween yeah. two and a slumber party massacre type plot initial thoughts on this thing. When you first saw sorority house massacre, what did you think of this?
4: Uh, well, I think you hinted around at some of it there when you described it. But the, the first couple of times I saw it, it was hard to get through. And I don't mean that necessarily uh, derogatorily. It's it's a very dreamy movie. Mm hmm. Like, I fucking 40% of the movie takes place in slow motion. Yes. Um, And uh, so, you know, as I am wont to do when I'm several bowls deep and after 10 p.m. (laughs) and starting up some movie, it's tough to to get through a flick like that. Um, So it has this really sort of nightmarish, unreal vibe because of the way that it moves, the way it's paced and shot. But, man, my first thoughts was that It's uh, it's Halloween 2 meets Nightmare on Elm Street meets Slumber Party Massacre 2 meets Black Christmas.
5: Yeah, I think that's super, super accurate. The first time I saw this thing, I was very underwhelmed by it. But upon subsequent views, I think this is a movie that kind of opens itself up to you because mm-hmm. it is so nonlinear. It is very somber, it's actually great cinematography, decent editing. Yeah. The soundtrack gives it some mood and atmosphere, unlike most of these really cheapy slasher knockoff type flicks. It, it felt like someone actually gave a fuck. Making right. This one. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and for wasn't, sure. It wasn't a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing. It was like they were actually attempting to make a horror movie with this.
4: Yeah, for sure. I have not dug in to the facts on this at all, and maybe you have, but I, I'm guessing that Carol Frank, director and writer, also did she also write it? Absolutely, um,
5: she did. In fact, write okay. this
4: okay, uh, director Carol Frank. I'm assuming that she approached this the way that Amy Jones approached Slumber Party Massacre and that um, like she came to make a a serious, intelligent slasher film. You know, she's like she's within the parameters of the genre, but also trying to do something a little different and, and smarter and a little more like feminine oriented in, mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, and it really comes off that way, you know, when it it, it feels like a woman's horror movie. And to me, with Slumber Party Massacre being my favorite slasher film of all time, like I, women to me have a better take on slasher films than men do. Because I mean, final girls are what slasher films bank on. Not, there are no final dudes, you know, nope. nobody, nobody cares about a final dude. It's, a, it's about <laughs> the girls in these movies. And so you might as well have one at the helm. And when you do things come off just a little bit fucking sharper and more intelligent.
5: Well, I think all of the characterization of the people that are, you know, populating this film. And it, it we said this a lot on the last episode for slumber party massacre. They all have time to breathe and act, be yeah. actual people as opposed to archetypes and meet for the grinder. A lot of yeah. male driven <laughs> slasher films the women are just there to oogle and the men are just there to be walking hard-ons. And that just isn't the case in, in this film at all. No,
4: no. I mean, uh, you know, sorority house massacre one is not without a bit of nudity, yeah. but it's, it's like the nudity that you get in slumber party massacre two when it's, um, it's just really goofy and not, sexualized and and doesn't feel male gazy in the slightest it just feels like maybe this would be a moment where chicks would be goofing around and take their shirts off or whatever but none of it's like it's not shot in a you know salacious kind of way or anything Mm -hmm. it's just really goofy and and off the cuff and it has that sort of tone in in that way that slumber party massacre 2 does
5: It did. I I think the scene that you're talking about when we get some of the nudity is the scene where all the girls wind up at the sorority house and they're, you know... They're going to spend the night there because the, their head sorority sister is gone. And one of them exclaims that her biggest desire in fantasy is to try on <laughs> their clothes. <laughs> so yeah. they have this whole sequence in a bedroom where they're trying on all these awful jackets with this total like TV sitcom stock music playing in the background. And I've never seen that many shoulder pads in clothes. Oh in my, my entire God. life epic fucking shoulder pads so many fucking shoulder pads man it's crazy so this is the only scene really other than like there's there's kind of a sex scene later where there's some nudity oh right yeah true yeah yeah there is a bit of yeah yeah a little bit but for the most part this is the scene where you know the, the girls are opening their shirts and showing each other their breasts where it's just like okay, you, this is just yeah. here for you know the exploitation pop. We get it. But for the right, most part, yeah. that's just not the thing. You, it not It's not like what we're going to talk about coming soon, Sorority House <laughs> Massacre 2 and Hard to Die, directed by Jim Wynorski. If you Woo! know anything about, about Jim Wynorski, you know exactly what to expect yes, in indeed. that situation. But yeah. this just isn't that kind of film. Mm-hmm. This is a far more understated affair. And yeah. I think... First time I saw this, as I had said, I was very underwhelmed by it because nothing really happens horror wise for horror pop until probably the last 20, 30 minutes of this movie.
4: Right. Other than your like random Nightmare on Elm Street
5: style dream interludes. Which which is mostly kind of like blood and and menace. Yeah, there's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no real, you know, stabbing. There's no deaths it's just a lot of like bad dreams and, and, and kind of like, you know, cats jumping out of the closet type, (laughs) type stuff. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean are are fairly decent. I kind of liked the nightmarish surrealness of what was going on. Did, did that take you out of the movie at all?
4: No, man. Well, at times, yes. Like there are times when that slow-mo hits and you're, brain starts to drag you know right um but uh i think worth it and uh and necessary for the story they were telling
5: i think so too because I, I the the reason why we have so much nightmare and so much dreamscape action going on is because the killer which obviously you know they're trying to fashion it off of what was popular at the time freddy krueger henkel uh-huh is this guy mm. and it I'm very glad I have you on the show in particular to sit and talk about this. And maybe you can illuminate a little bit more than I can about this fact of his character is that Henkel is locked inside of this mental institution and is said to communicate via only theta waves. Now, are you familiar with what right. theta <laughs> waves are?
4: Um, Yes, but I don't uh I can't. I can't apply that in any sort of decent scientific way to this situation. I don't. I don't think that applies at all. Well, <laughs> from I mean, what? theta is a is a type of radio wave. Mm-hmm. So I guess, fucking theoretically, I guess you could be biologically broadcasting theta waves. I guess. I think. Well, what the the.
5: Tie this to – and what I'm guessing, if if you do just the most rudimentary of research on any of this, is that in rats, they tie this to – there's two conditions in which the hippocampal theta is uh, kind of broadcasted out or, or discovered, and that's in active motion or during REM sleep. So what I'm oh, guess- shit. okay. What I'm mm-hmm. guessing they're saying is Henkel is constantly in that REM sleep mode in his brain, so he's right. he's terrorizing her, not unlike Freddy Krueger through theta right. waves.
4: Yeah, holy shit. Okay, so I didn't realize that Carol Frank had put a nice little fucking fringe science explanation on Freddy Krueger. And Hankel with this movie, absolutely. And That's fucking
5: cool. After you, I think you know the first time you watch this, you just, I was also with you. I was kind of bored, but the more you kind of dig into it, there's a lot about this movie I actually really, really liked. Like, yes, the, the, same, yeah. I think the Hankel character in general is a very menacing character, and he doesn't have any gimmicks. There's zero gimmicks about this character. It's just a dude. Who doesn't speak? Who is like almost like a, a Jason Voorhees, where he just ha- has a one-track mind and he's out to kill. And these dream sequences that he has doesn't have any of the the snarky, you know, one-liners that a Freddy Krueger has. They're mm-hmm. actual nightmares, mm-hmm. and um, I really dug this. The murders, yeah. the murders, when they finally do happen, are super matter matter of fact. There's yeah. they're they're not drug out. He, he when he plunges this, you know, Bowie knife that he he ends up stealing from, from like a <laughs> army supply store or wherever he goes and gets this thing. Uh, he just plunges it in and there's no really no screaming. It's almost no. like it's almost <laughs> like the action takes the wind out of whoever he's killing. And right. it's very eerie and menacing, and it was kind of uncomfortable to me. What did you think of how they handled the murder scenes in this?
4: Uh, same man. I um <clears throat> I think he's got a bit of the Russ Thorne vibe in that uh it's kind of like Russ Thorne meets Jason Voorhees. Like he mm. uh, he is a big silent fucker who looks physically menacing and is always like on the job <clears throat> mm-hmm. on the case and nothing else. <clears throat> but also you get that, that Russ Thorne thing where it's a white dude in clothes, no mask. You see his face, all of that. He's shot very like, uh, you know, none of it's glamorized nope. or, or hyped up in any kind of way. He's like real dry every time they shoot him and all of that just comes off real fucking grimy, you know, J- just like Russ Thorne, but this guy seems
5: more physically imposing. He does. And actually Ooh. he's not he doesn't have kind of the goofy mannerisms that Russ Thorne did. Uh, right. Michael Vallella from the, the first <clears throat> Slumber Party Massacre movie. Um so there's something a little more menacing about the killer yeah. and the horror aspect of this movie.
4: Right. Yeah it's all all about the kill uh and, and speaking of the kills there are At least two of the girls that go down, uh, go down to a Bowie knife, like right between the tits. Mm -hmm. And it's like a bare chested shot. And I was thinking about it and I was like, man, have I ever seen that before?
5: I don't think I have. That could be some of the uncomfortableness coming through for me is that, you know, while there is some obvious sexualization going on with the nudity and the girls, because in all of these movies, at some point, the girls are just kind of stuck in negligee, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. you're supposed to be titillated, but the, there's nothing, nothing titillating about any of the murders in this movie.
4: No, no, not in the slightest. All. It all just seems really fucking mean and really, really quick. Um, I think like honestly, before you said what you said about the the way that the sound is dealt with during the stabbings, that's like my one sort of nitpick of *Sorority House Massacre* one is I'm hmm. I'm like, why is everybody fucking dead silent yeah. when they get stabbed? Um, you know, because I've been stabbed and it I was not quiet. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but. Uh, I think maybe yeah, like after hearing you describe it, I think it's a style choice, man. I, I do, too. It, yeah, because it's so cold and it is very much like knife goes in. That character is done. Yes. Fucking silenced and removed from this story. It's over. It,
5: and removed from the earth. It was, right. I, it was when we came back to this and I rewatched it is that and maybe it's with age, you know there's just certain things that unnerve me. And those murders in it, I've watched this now three times for this episode. They just kind of took me out of my element. Like I was very uncomfortable with them.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really menacing, man. And and even when uh like one of my favorite kills in it is when one of the boyfriends goes down the so they're trying to escape with that emergency ladder out mm-hmm. of the window. And the boyfriend goes down first and he's like, I'm going to hold the ladder and everybody made their way down. And then there's like the steady cam POV as the killer's creeping up on that guy and something about it. I mean, it's not like it's different than anything I've seen before. It's just like within the context of the film as a whole, it's just fucking, it's really actually unnerving. Whereas in any other movie, even like a carpenter, like even in Halloween, When Michael's creeping on people, I'm like, ah, they're dead. You know, whatever. (laughs) But
5: But you also have like you have auditory stings in a Carpenter movie. It's never just pure silence. Even that scene where Michael Myers holds holds up the one guy and like skewers him to the kitchen cupboard. There's an underlying bed track that's going on there.
4: Right, right. Yeah. And this just purely relies on like the dry footage.
5: Yeah, well, some of it also could be to build on top of this. We actually give a fuck about these characters. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there, there are no shitty characters in this movie. No, there's some no, you, awkward, stupid dialogue, mm-hmm. but for the most part, these characters are great. Yeah, yeah,
4: and it's um, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that like they're all rallying around the lead. Character who she's like recently traumatized, mm-hmm. you know, um, well, she's like child, traumatized in her childhood. But then also right before the movie starts, she's lost her uh aunt and uncle or whatever, her adopted parents. Yeah. And like all these girls are just rallying around her and trying to show her a great weekend and make sure that she keeps her mind off of stuff and stays happy. And it's like, that's gold, man. You can't hate any of these girls. Mm You know, none of them's like, uh, I hope that one goes first. Like you, you actually care about all of them.
5: I actually, in the, in the guy, the one boyfriend that makes it almost, yeah, makes it almost all the way to the end. He's just like, dudes, he, somebody just killed my girlfriend. And he's trying to genuinely help. There's no creepiness to him. He's not trying to slime on anybody. It's just like they're all in this together, which you rarely ever see. All, as I said before, guys are always just walking hard ons that no matter what's happening, they're just trying to get it in the entire time.
4: Yeah, that's another like one of my favorite parts of sorority one is. Uh, so when the boyfriend that you're talking about him and his girlfriend are attacked in the TP in the front yard or whatever, yeah. and, uh, and he gets away and, but he like has to dash away from the teepee fucking butt naked. He's, he's got no clothes on. And a, uh, we actually get some decent dude, butt shots, which <laughs> you just don't often get, you know, in slasher films. And I'm all about equal opportunity nudity. And, uh, But it's also like it's there, but it's not salacious, you know. And then when he runs in the house, there's this moment where he charges in the house, slams the door behind him. And you see the girls in the house do a quick take down low, like, oh, shit, there's that guy's junk. Yeah. But then then they're straight up to his eyes and are like, what the fuck is going on? And it's a very serious situation, whereas, you know, if this was any given Friday the 13th flick that would have been a comedic opportunity, yeah. yeah. You know, and it would have taken away from the whole vibe, which is terror. to so fucking scared that he doesn't have time to talk about why he just came in the house, dick swinging. Yeah. You know, yeah. What I mean? Why am I
5: hanging, dog? Yeah,
4: he's just like, yo, did somebody fucking stabbed so and so? Like, we're fucked, you know? Right. And all the girls are like, "Oh fuck, and they 're immediately about business there's no fucking jokes
5: i I love it that's, that's I do too yeah, that might be my favorite aspect of this movie, aside just kind of the the really dour tone of the entire thing is that you finally get a bunch of characters that you get you want to see survive." <laughs> Uh, This situation, which most part, I mean, by that point in the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street series, uh, these these weren't characters you wanted to see survive. You wanted to see how creatively they were going to get murdered.
4: Right. Yeah. That's
5: what you were encouraged to do. You were encouraged to follow the murderer in at no point in sorority house massacre. Are you encouraged to empathize or side with the murderer? Right No. This is a down and out horror film. So I really dig that about this. Uh, I have to admit, if we're going to talk anything bad about this movie, there is a point about halfway through where this thing kind of hits a brick wall and nothing yes. happens for a little bit.
4: Yes, there is. Yeah.
5: So if there's anything I got to say is that the on the first viewing, it does kind of drag a little bit, but once you kind of get hip to what's going on, and if you decide to go back to it, there's a lot more to kind of unpack with this movie than your average slasher film. So I give oh, it a yeah, huge thumbs sure. up, and and you know my predilection for short horror films. This movie's only an hour and fourteen minutes long.
4: Love it, love it, man. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. No, I'd I'd say the same, and uh, I I think it. You know, I don't want to fucking turn this into a A segment or anything but i i think there's a lot of really there's a lot to unfold in this movie if you revisit it um i think there's there were a lot of you know sort of careful strange considerations put into the screenplay itself like a guy his the the number on his room in the mental asylum is room number 26 and then the room that his sister, our main character, moves into at the sorority house, room number twenty six. Um, and if you ask my kooky ass, <laughs> I think I think twenty six was. Uh, I don't. I don't think that was just a very simple connection by like, oh, they they had the same room number. I think twenty six was chosen because two and six together are eight, and eight is the figure eight you know the loop of causality yeah and that's sort of what this movie is is this weird uh effect before cause dreamscape where these two people are connected in a way that really doesn't make any sense um but it creates this this great horror story
5: absolutely i mean over and over again that fact is showcased to us um until it's finally revealed At the end, what the connection really is?
4: No, it was the third fucking time that I watched this movie before I fully understood what the connection was. We watched it for like the second time, and I was like, I I still can't tell what the the connection is between this girl and the killer. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not the movie's fault. That was my fault, right? Right? Because it's there, you know. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's, it's a deeply layered slasher flick, you know.
5: Is it the best slasher film ever?
4: Uh, no. Probably not. Yeah, no.
5: No, no, no. It's no Slumber Party Massacre. No, no. But it's it's a damn decent one and an underrated yeah, one. It, absolutely. You don't ever hear anyone talk about Sorority House Massacre. And I no. I would love for people to hear this and actually go out and, and seek this one out. It, yeah. It, it yeah. did have a Blu-ray release uh, a number of oh, okay. years ago.
4: I was just about to
5: shout out Arrow Video. <laughs> but
4: because they listen to every episode of Astro Radio. Of course
5: they do. I mean, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I basically tell them what movies to release on Arrow. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you know that? Yeah. I believe and I'm just quick to do the research, which means I'm typing on the Internet to find this out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on we need that arrow fucking trilogy box set is what we need oh, man. I think I there's want... some rights issues why that's not happening right
4: now. yeah I guess there's some reason why you literally cannot buy hard to die
5: yeah it, which is a bummer because hard to die is one oh, of the funnest solid gold you're ring. ever gonna see and <laughs> so it's just good. so impossible to find that thing now sorority house massacre uh, you can watch on uh, shout factory tv which it's I on bel- Prime as well. It's on Prime. You can find mm-hmm. Sorority House Massacre very easily. And I recommend every last listener to at least give it a chance. It's Indeed. not the greatest thing you'll ever see, but it's actually a pretty decent slasher film and decent horror yeah. movie. Mm, yeah. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and we're going to take a break here, Evan. And when we come cool. back, we're not going to give each of the next two movies, their own section of this episode, we're going to mash them together because I, okay. I, I do believe that's the only way you can accurately really sit and talk about <laughs> sorority house massacre Two, made in 1990 and hard to die. Made in 1990. <laughs> also made in 1990. Also made in 1990. Nice. So um, we're going to take a short break where Mr. Scott W. Davis has decided to grace Astro Radio Z with his presence once again and create a new segment for this show. So check it out, won't you?
2: Is your hair spiking uncontrollably? Oh, dude. Do you find yourself wearing head-to-toe Ed Hardy with no explanation?
1: I heard that.
2: Do you feel cold spots all around you where your dude bros should be?
1: Oh my gosh, guys, 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 I'm getting it again. I'm getting it again. I'm getting it again. I'm getting it again right now.
2: If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are suffering from a chronic vitamin G deficiency. Oh, my my God! But never fear. Your hostess with the ghostess has the cure. Join us on Paranormal Schlockdown, where we'll go through every episode of Ghost Adventures.
1: Ghost Adventures.
2: Examining the evidence. I just saw something. Keeping track of every Zach rage.
1: I do not feel right up here.
2: But most importantly, we'll see what happens to Aaron.
5: Dude, I swear to God. Guys, I keep hearing something like right over here.
2: We'll rate each episode and learn about all the rad equipment these dude bros use to capture paranormal activity. There will be special guests and lots of surprises for connoisseurs of the creepy. Get locked down with Paranormal Schlockdown.
1: This is how Ghost Adventures crew gets locked down.
2: Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. Come with us and stay sleepy.
6: the lights dim the crowd goes silent and the show is about to start but at which point does the movie end and reality begin for some of us the two intertwine life influences art and art influences life I'm Scott W. Davis and these are my confessions, the confessions of a film geek. Pod people, I'm Scott W. Davis, and this is the first in a new segment, Confessions of a Film Geek. And let me explain to you the way I go about doing these things. Um, I have been so into film ever since I can remember, ever since I was a kid, that it's really hard for me to separate a film I watch from life. I mean, yeah, we all watch a movie, right? And we all think, oh, this is a good movie. Uh, This is how the acting was. This is how the directing was. This is how blah, 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 blah. We all do that. A lot of reviews do that. A lot of times it doesn't go much beyond that. And I think that's a big waste of time because everything's going to land differently. You're not going to agree with what I have to say here, but hopefully you'll be interested enough to listen to it. I don't know. That's what I'm betting on. Because... It's really hard for me to separate film from my life. Everything I watch reminds me of what's going on around it. Has it reminded me of something in the past? Does it remind me of just some random thing I noticed? Is it topical of something that's happening right then and there? Am I uh, is watching this with people? Uh, how does this land, given my taste, all these different things, all these different factors. This is what art does, right? You know, that's why your favorite song doesn't do anything for your friends (laughs) or anything, you know? It means—it all means something different, and that's kind of where I'm going with this. It gives me an opportunity to talk about the movie and also, like, stuff that's going on in the world, stuff that's going on in life. Uh, Sometimes it just gives me the excuse to just ramble on and go off on tangents, but you know what? That works, too, because it's my segment. So here we go with the first installment— and, uh, yeah, I guess we should talk about what's been going on in uh, life here. What has been going on? Jeez, now I'm just thinking uh, off the top of my head, what could we possibly be talking about? Could it be plague? That's what people are dealing with. It, and this will be a big signpost to anybody who is listening to this far into the future when I tell you that we're going to be talking about a movie called 5G Zombies. Now, hopefully... These people who will be talking about this, listening to this, will be saying like, geez, 5G. Yeah, that's right. That was like a thing. And there was all that weird Corona thing. Boy, we got over that. That's that's nothing. We're on 9G now. There's what was this even a thing? I hope that's the that's the case. I really do. It's also possible that we all die and that. Uh, this is dug out and somehow translated 2,000 years in the future by some extraterrestrial archaeologists. If you're not, you're listening to this right now in uh, July 2020 is when I'm recording this. And yes, we've been dealing with plague for a few months now. Coronavirus. COVID-19. rest of the world has been dealing with this for some time. Some places are still trying to get a handle on it. Some places are getting a handle on this. United States really not getting a handle on this, and if you want to know why we aren't getting a handle on this, it's because we generally do as well as the dumbest asshole among us, and (laughs) there's quite a few of them. Uh, The vast majority of people see the importance of following protocols. They wear masks, they stay indoors, they quarantine, they do all this stuff. So you've got experts, people who do this for a living, people who have studied science, have studied uh, viruses and pathogens all their life, and they're telling you, look, this is what you have to do. And it looked like we were going to start to do that. We'd get, you know, some idiots here and there, but for the most part it looked like we were getting a good handle on it for a while, and then we kind of got bored. (laughs) People realized they didn't want to be with their shitty families anymore, and they decided they are just going to go out and do their things. Now, uh, it's no uh, coincidence that the people who got bored and didn't want to be around their shitty families are people whose families didn't want to be around them, because they're the assholes. So we have uh, all these people out there saying, you can't tell me to wear a mask, you can't tell me to do this... That's the thing about virus. It doesn't care if you're rich or poor. It doesn't care what your race is. It doesn't care how old you are. It doesn't care what God you pray to. It just does what viruses do. And uh, you just can't tell that to some people. And so you get wacky things like uh, us still trying to deal with this and not wanting to do uh, deal with wearing masks. What's that got to do with 5G? Because with the crazy mask people, you have crazy conspiracy people. Uh, this, don't worry, Derek's right now is like, is listening to this right now and just shaking his head. Uh, but don't worry, this is not going to be a political show. I'm not going to get into politics. But this doesn't happen without ignorance uh, and superstition. There is a lot of Conspiracy theories saying that the virus was being caused by 5G cell towers, which were coming out around this time. That's not a thing. That's not even possible. Why are they saying 5G? Uh, Because it's technology and they didn't understand it. It really is. I've looked and looked and looked and tried to find every logical reason. Every now and then you see something about radiation, but... It's safe radiation. It's not something that that would really cause any problems. Uh, of course, viruses cannot be spread through cell phone towers. And what we get now is we get these crazy people now who all of a sudden feel entitled. And they feel intelligent. And they feel like they are, they are the lucky ones. They're the ones who are in the know, the minority, who are telling you what's causing this. And these are the same people that were saying that original cell towers were going to be dangerous. It's the same people that were telling you that internet was going to be dangerous, that electricity was going to be dangerous, that automobiles were going to be dangerous. (laughs) It's the same people that have been hiding in caves from the scary lightning outside since primitive times. It's the same characteristics. And now this is causing us to look at this new movie, 5G Zombies. Uh, you might be asking, that seems really in poor taste. I mean, while, when by the time I've uh, recorded this, I think we're up to like 130,000 dead in this country. My God, how horrible. Uh, is, th- is that really decent? Well, uh, welcome to the world of exploitation, folks. Exploitation is reactive. And this is uh, definitely in that same ballpark, so I have no problem with this. The problem is, for the most part, while this movie was being made, everybody was quarantining, they were staying inside. So how do you mount a massive, well, not a massive motion picture, but any motion picture, really, uh, with those restrictions? Again, inventiveness of exploitation, and I really kind of actually tip my hat to them. Uh, 5G Zombies is an anthology movie. That means that, okay, we don't need the same cast for everything. It's, uh, got credited to two directors now. Uh, one of them is John R. Walker, who we'll talk about in just a moment. And the other is, uh, Dustin Ferguson. Now, this guy, I've only seen a few of his movies so far. He's on my Facebook friends list and such. But, holy crap is this guy ever prolific. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how he does it. Seriously, he he has, in, okay, 10 years' time, 89 credits listed on the IMDb. That's nuts. Now, these films all cost, like, about $2.50, but still, I think anybody who has ever spent any time in film production or video production knows that it takes so much to write something, go into pre-production, shoot the thing, go post-production. It's a big process, especially if it's done independently, because you're often looking over the stuff yourselves. He's done a lot, and he always has something going on, it seems. He always seems to have something happening. In this case, he did uh, this thing, he came up with this idea of 5G zombies, and incidentally, he's he's already kind of uh, capitalized on the next thing that was supposed to follow 5G uh, with his, his next project after that, because he did a film called Angry Asian Murder Hornets, <laughs> which uh, Murder Hornets, that was supposed to be our next thing, and then they kind of forgot about the Murder Hornets, you know? We, we, did, we, did, we did riots in our, in, and protests in our cities instead of mur- murder hornets. Oh well, but he still did it. <laughs> so he's actually, and I think he handled most of the stuff in this movie, Dustin Ferguson did. Well, so it starts out like there's this coronavirus, of course, COVID-19, but then also with the 5G cell towers made it even worse because the 5G cell towers turned everybody with the virus into zombies. That's basically the premise of all these stories, and what you're seeing are little like vignettes of everybody dealing with this. We start out with this first segment, and this was, I believe, shot by John R. Walker because he's a filmmaker that's based in the UK, as is this first segment, and it's easily the most impressive looking of all the segments in the movie. Uh, when you start this movie out, the first 15 minutes are like this. And it It doesn't get any more (laughs) impressive than this. It's just a very... It's kind of a clever, Twilight Zone-ish, moody piece about this woman who's dealing with problems with her cell phone. Then she's kind of conned into getting a new cell phone, which it would turn her into a 5G zombie with spiral eyes and like... It's like a Body Snatchers thing. It's actually quite well done. Moving on from there, we get a little bit of this and that. Every story kind of deals with people dealing with this uh rapidly escalating crisis a lot of these scenes seem outsourced uh, shot uh usually focusing on one person on a phone or shooting on their webcam i'm not exactly sure how they were directed were they directed by remote not my business i don't know but that's how but that's how a lot of these uh vignettes play out now We've all kind of gotten used to YouTube. If you weren't before, we're more than familiar now that we've been locked up. I actually have dealt with, been dealing with staying mostly indoors for about a year now because I've also got health issues that I've been dealing with. But so my YouTube uh, viewing has gone way up now personally I find the YouTube stars to be pretty much as they were when I had a show on YouTube a few years ago which is to say I find them really annoying as hell I I just I, I hate it I hate seeing the thumbnail that come that that you look at and it's got somebody doing a a funny face and some hyperbolic statement like this is the worst thing ever to get it's the the most generic and obnoxious clickbait and usually it's uh it's to listen to somebody whose opinion well not saying my opinion actually is worth a whole lot but let's they're worth less incidentally the people i listen to aren't really doing that too much and they're not you know thankfully they're, they're, they're the ones who aren't having any pedophilia scandals you know a lot of the people I listen to on YouTube these days are people who are talking about science history atheism you know they're they're squares I don't know anything about their sex lives and I don't want to so anyway a lot of these vignettes turn out to be testimonials by so-called YouTubers and they're talking to their subscribers and everything like that and it's basically comes off as like another episode of their show only difference is that instead of being some wacky uh, review or makeup tutorial or pop culture thing, it's about the 5G zombies and whether they're going to survive or not, and they usually don't. This is kind of interesting if you're like me and you shuffle from one channel to the next, you know, trying to find something really entertaining. It kind of has that same feel to it. However... As I mentioned before, we do get a bit of sameness because not all of the the stories are like this until you get towards the end. You'll get a few of these and then you'll get like some actual bare storyline in a in one of the pieces. But by the time you reach the halfway point in this movie, all the rest of the stories or vignettes or whatever we want to call them, cuz they're only just a few minutes a piece really. They're not big 20, 30-minute pieces. They all wind up being the same. Someone's in a camera like, Oh, did you hear about the zombies? I hope they don't get me. What was that? You know, lots of that shit. I mean, like, imagine if somebody was going to describe to you, say, creep show and they said, Oh, well this this story right here This is about a guy who's locked in a room, and he's uh, a a neat freak, and he's attacked by cockroaches. Oh, okay, that's cool. What's uh, the next story about? Oh, it's about this guy, and he's locked in a room, and he's attacked by cockroaches. And after that, there's a story about a guy who's locked in a room and attacked by cockroaches. If they were the same thing, we wouldn't give a shit about that movie now. A little bit of this stuff goes a long way. I don't know why they edited this the way they did. First of all, the film needs to be a lot shorter. This is a hour and 36 minutes, and 20, 30 minutes shorter. I would say even 30 minutes shorter. This thing, 5G zombies, should have been short and sweet. It should have had us going, my gosh, yep, that's a pretty good response to all the craziness going on, and that's it. But, it didn't. I mean, it sounds weird to say this about a film that, that cost next to nothing to make, but they needed to scale this back. We don't need this many segments, and when they did the segments, they should have shuffled it up more so that we didn't get that same sameness. That's the biggest uh, criticism I have about the film. Now, these films always seem to be about more than what they're about. So if you take a step back from it, you can see 5G zombies as a crass but undeniable commentary on our times. Uh, there's even allusions to other shameful moments in our recent history, such as the uh, rise of nationalism and uh, the de- demonization of immigrants. What the film su- surprisingly really doesn't comment on are the conspiracy theories themselves. Now we mentioned they mentioned the five G towers, and we get the occasional person from one of these YouTubers who might be a conspiracy pe- person saying, "No one believed us" or something like that. But there is very little evidence on hand that the filmmakers understand just what these conspiracy theories were or where they came from. Th- these theories do not happen without end of days religious fundamentalism uh, because there's this whole thing you know, is the technology that's causing the virus? And that way, they can trick you into getting the vaccine. And lots of people are saying that Bill Gates will force you to get the vaccine. And Bill, Bill Gates is, they're saying, is Satan because none of them have cracked a book since 1995. And you know, once you get a vaccine, that'll be, that'll embed a chip in you, uh, <laughs> chip in you, which will serve as the mark of the beast because in the Book of Revelations, there is a mark of the beast that everybody. Gets And if they get that mark of the beast, then they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven after judgment day. It's fucking stupid. I, I, God, I, every day, every day we're dealing with this. I hope people listen in, in the future and shake their heads in disbelief. I hope you can't believe it. I hope you can't believe it. I hope you don't just think this sounds normal because none of this shit should be normal all these people who think they know more than the experts who have all this weird superstition shit they all, y'all need to shut the fuck up oh my god <laughs> it's and it's been taking pretty much everybody else's life over these days ugh but there's no mention of these like apocalyptic fundamentalist beliefs in this horror movie which would seem to be a natural match don't you think Uh, Nor is there any reference to these weird um, QAnon-type movements that have fueled these crackpot theories. No, everything is straight-faced and surface-based in this film. Uh, It just is what it is, which is kind of a shame because you've got a lot of good material. I think that the way they shot this film is really clever. And I think that using this topic to make a schlocky zombie picture, I think that's in the greatest spirit of exploitation. I didn't hate this movie. Uh, I liked a lot of what it did. Even some of the segments are quite good. But as it wore on, I began to wonder, is this all the movie's going to be? Is this all it's going to offer me? These are really weird and scary times, no matter which side of the fence you are on. And I think that it is only natural for a horror film to tackle that. I just wish that maybe they tackled it a little bit better than they did. Hopefully you've enjoyed this. Until next time, I'm Scott W. Davis reminding you to embrace your inner geek.
1: This is Astro Radio Z, and we love talking about movies with you. If you are looking for more episodes, and want to become part of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z and become a monthly subscriber to have access to not only over 100 plus bonus episodes of content, but a monthly bonus episode of Astro Radio Z and censored with Mark the Movie Man where you, the listener tell us what to cover on the show. Jump in. Make Astro Radio Z yours and become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z. I
0: ain't
2: lying, baby.
0: A house abandoned.
2: We're gonna turn this into the best sorority house in school.
0: (laughs) That holds a secret.
2: A Ouija board. Let's shake up the spirit world.
0: An evil that has resided for centuries and is about to be awakened. Yes. And my dad said that nut was somehow in league with the devil.
3: Welcome to your new home.
5: (laughs) 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 Oh, my God! So, Evan, Sorority House Massacre Two made in nineteen ninety. Maybe the most criminally unseen film in horror film history in my straight up, straight up. Had you ever seen this thing before this episode? No, 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 I had not. What a damn shame. Do you feel like all of the years up to this point in your life have now been wasted because you didn't watch Sorority House Massacre 2
4: Uh, every year? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> if I, if you are a fucking astro zombie, or uh, you know a member of Joe Bob's mutant army as he likes to call it, if you are into these kind of sleazy, fucking '80s gutter movies, and you think you've seen the idea of a sleazy, sleazy slasher flick, you have not. Nope. No, you have not. If you have not seen Sorority House Massacre, everything you've seen is like fucking minor league bullshit compared
5: to this movie. It's Bush League. Absolute Bush Bush League. Bush (laughs) League bullshit (laughs) compared to Sorority House Massacre. And of course, directed Mm. by the immortal sleaze master himself, Jim Wynorski. Oh, yes. This may be... And I, know, I don't know how familiar you are with Jim Wynorski, Evan, but this may be the quintessential Jim Wynorski movie.
4: For sure. For sure. Yes. I, th- I think he sort of was like, who knows if it was Wynorski's call or if it was a fucking if it just happened out of the budget or or what. But he really appears to have been like in full blown. He was as Wynorski as he could be in this
5: movie. The like, yeah. is in this
4: Uh Just the idea, like if you're familiar with Jim Wynorski movies, uh, you know what he's about. You know, he's about that sort of soft core take on exploitation. He, uh, he typically, he leans in more towards shower scenes and just random nudity than any sort of like sex scene kind of thing. It's more just about like babes in their underwear or in the shower, that kind of thing, along with some hokey fucking horror business. And man, he just has it cranked up to 11 in this thing. Like gloves pulled off.
5: There's always some gimmick involved with every one of these movies. Up until this point, 1990, Jim Wynorski had made relatively straight laced exploitation films i think really? it was okay. around this point where the tides turned and he went full bore <laughs> russ meyer titty hound from yeah. this point on
4: so for like for chronology's sake let me ask you this was a uh,
5: return of swamp Thing before this Actually, Return of Swamp Thing was made before this movie. So before this movie is made, just to let you all know, some of the movies Jim Wynorski's you know known for: Chopping Mall, you know, the, <laughs> the shopping mall with killer robots movie,
4: like one of the best movies ever made. You,
5: you got Death Stalker Two, a also one and, of the finest films ever made. <laughs> sword and Sandals titty flick, Ret- Not of This Earth with Tracy Lords. Return oh, yeah. of Swamp Thing, which arguably is my favorite comic book movie of all time. I, I think yes. I discussed it way back <laughs> in the day on Astral Radio Z. It was, I don't even remember. It might be episode like in the 30s, somewhere in there. Um I right. absolutely it's one of my favorite childhood comic book films of all time. Uh Transylvania Twist, The Haunting of Morella, which I believe the Haunting of Morella is a Brink Stevens. Joint, I think she's in that that movie, and then Sorority House Massacre Two. After this point, we go straight into exploitation. (laughs) So, how about was Ghoulies Four after after this? Okay, Munchie Nine Seven Six Evil Two, Munchie Strikes Back, and Ghoulies Four all came after this.
0: Interesting,
4: man. Because I swear, like I'd fucking put five of my sweaty hard-earned american dollars on the table and say that the sets that are in ghoulies four because ghoulies four takes place on two sets yes. there's a fucking there's a warehouse set and then there's an alleyway set yeah and that's fucking it and i swear those same exact two sets are used in slumber party two and hard to
2: die
5: those things are so damn cheap yeah. i i oh don't know my god as much of a ghoulies as i am I don't. G- <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> you, you know, my my infatuation with ghoulies.
4: Yes. I
5: don't think I've ever sat through the whole thing of ghoulies Four. Oh, it's
4: one of my favorites. Oh, my
5: God. <laughs> I'm going to have to do those movies at some point here on National Radio Z just so I can finally say I've watched all of ghoulies Four.
4: Oh, yeah.
5: Yeah, man. It's rough, though. That movie so is it's damn very rough. rough, very rough. <laughs> I think <clears throat> the one of the weirdest movies, and we'll eventually get to Sorority House Massacre, too. But when you're talking <laughs> about Jim Wynorski, you go down a rabbit hole very quickly. Yeah, one of, man. One of the weirdest things. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever seen this that he put out. And I only watched this recently with Amy. Was this movie called Wolfhound? Had you ever heard of this? No. Oh my God, listeners and Evan, it presents itself. If you you see the cover of this thing, you have it's almost like a fantasy Frank Fragetta type painting where you have this, you know, very buxom blonde that all of a sudden in her hands (laughs) and down her waist looks like she's turning into a werewolf. Like it's a fantasy werewolf gimmick.
4: Okay. Okay.
5: Wait, hold up. It's like a fucking sword and sorcery werewolf. No, or? no. Oh, okay, OK. OK. No, you would think so. When you see this cover, you would <clears throat> think, oh, man, this is some fantasy werewolf action. You turn this motherfucking gimmick on and it's a. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally about this family that shows up at this, like either Irish or Scottish. I forget exactly what it was like. Small town where everyone has a secret like the howling and you think it's werewolves only the movie's so damn cheap and low budge that people just turn into regular ass dogs (laughs) so it's a TNA movie where it tries to sell you on like there's werewolf intrigue but the people literally turn into regular ass dogs (laughs)
4: I'm going to be watching this shit as soon as I can.
5: (laughs) Dude, it is perplexing. There's a few moments you will die laughing so hard because it's so fucking stupid. Hell yes. It is so uncomfortable because they have these scenes where, and I don't want to make this all about Wolfhound, but somebody's (laughs) got to know that I watched this at some point, I suppose. Blackmail material or something. There's This guy becomes infatuated with this girl, not unlike the howling where, you know, the husband all of a sudden starts stealing away with the werewolf lady. Um, Uh He's at a bar and goes out into the alleyway. And this slimy, sweaty ass dog walks up turns into a blonde and they fuck
4: oh hell yeah
5: then they turn into sweaty ass dogs and run away oh i'm into it i'm way into it there's no transformation it's just a hard <laughs> it's, just, it's a hard just a hard cut, hard cut. To dogs
4: <laughs> <laughs> that should have been what they called it, it was hard cut to dogs
5: uh, hard sure. cut, that's the sequel <laughs> wolfhound 2 hard cut to dogs
0: yes fuck yes
5: seriously one of the shittiest movies i ever i've ever seen in my entire life i've never been more disappointed by a wolfman movie in my entire life
4: oh wow yeah and he should he should have credited himself on hard cut to dogs wolf how to as fucking stanton archer or whatever he called himself on hard to die
5: (laughs) oh my god I definitely yeah if you look at the, if you go to IMDB.com it's like the spirit of a werewolf is coming out of this buxom blonde with werewolf hands oh hell yeah there's no fucking werewolf in this gimmick just <laughs> just sweaty wet dogs
0: hell that's yeah. all
5: that's in that fucking <laughs> gimmick. so anyways oh, let's yeah. get back to Jim Wynorski yeah yeah back to Wynorski greener now. pastures are ahead of us right here Green. with sorority house mm-hmm. mascot too because I believe this is the pinnacle of Wynorski you 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 have a a light horror gimmick lots of comedy and various extended excuses to get women in negligee and naked
4: yes yes and like let me fucking slow the roll right now and and get this on the table man these are not just any fucking women the women in sorority house massacre 2 are fucking goddesses, If Inhuman. you are familiar with Frank Frazetta, the painter, you you would know what I mean by Frazetta girls, which is just that fucking exaggerated feminine form, like almost to the point where they have corners on them. You know yeah. these women, but but these women are real. <laughs> and when Norsky found like five of them to be in sorority house massacre two. And, and it's fucking it's insane. It's insane. And I'm not like an ogling kind of guy. And I'm not like a, you know, I, I'm pretty fucking respectable when it comes to the ladies. But this this movie will fuck you up if you are a hetero man or if you are interested in women in any in any way, sexually, sorority house massacre two is gonna fucking blow your lid off. Yeah, like, there's
5: don't stand up if you're watching this with a group. That's <laughs> yes. all. That's all I'm saying. Don't stand exactly. up. These <laughs> insanity. It's, it's terrible. Insanity. We're and off air. Evan and I already acknowledged we're going to go into full pig mode here. Talking yeah, about Surrey yeah. House Masker 2. There's no way not to. Yeah. You're talking about a Jim Wynorski movie with the most gorgeous women. You have Gail Harris playing Linda, Melissa Moore, who is just an Aww. Amazon. She is a true Amazon. This lady is ju- – it's unbelievable. She's like at least six foot – six foot two, six foot three. Yes. And just inhuman.
4: Yeah, like – Fucking Frazetta painted her, or Jim Lee put her on a comic book page. Like she is so fucking banging. It is crazy. Oh my
5: god. Bridget Carney, Tony Mables. Oh, yeah. You have all these extremely beautiful women. And then you yep. got Peter Spellos as Orville Ketchum, <laughs> the most greasy, ugly, fat dude you've ever seen in your entire life. And bless okay. his soul, because okay. he may be my favorite character of any movie ever it may it may have the the tides may have changed forget bruce campbell it's over our love (laughs) affair is over peter spellos is orville ketchum will now until the day i die be my spirit animal
4: yeah yeah and he's got this thing in his performance man where like it's the kind of performance where like it's a bit self-aware yes and and in something else it would kind of be annoying you know but it just fucking drives home his character. Like he knows as an actor, he knows what his place is in this thing. Mm-hmm. And even just like as a guy, he he gets his place in this story and he's happy to exploit himself to those ends. And it's so fucking good.
5: <laughs> well, I, I think you, you get the hint that this movie was all about having fun. Uh, if you do yeah, for any sure. any sort of yeah. research on this. Jim Wynorski originally titled this movie The House of Babes and then Nighty Nightmares oh shit (laughs) so that tells you exactly the kind of movie he was after this was all about humor Uh, he he says because the film was made in seven days I was adding humor whenever possible making sure there was plenty of nudity along the way at first the script ended when the cops arrived in the morning and found Gail Harris's character alive and holding a knife I said to hell with that and continued on bringing Orville back to life one more time to take care of business
4: yes yes uh, and speaking of Frank Frazetta, is another weird Frazetta connection. So hey, most of us fantasy love and dorks know that Frazetta was very well known for his paintings of Conan the Barbarian, mm-hmm. the, the Robert E. Howard character. And so something that uh, that Conan is known for in both his stories on the page and in the movies is Conan don't die. You know, he never ever dies. He'll be torn to fucking ribbons with his arms hanging off, and he'll fucking make it and and patch up, and he'll be okay for another story. And
5: that is what we get with Orville Ketchum. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So we've we've gone this far and haven't even told you what this movie is or how he factors into this thing or anything. <laughs> right, yeah, We're just yeah, so that, damn yeah. excited to talk about this. You, yeah. It's hard not to just start drooling over every aspect of this movie. But this is your basic everyday go to hell. Girls show up at a sorority house, which isn't really a sorority house. It's a goddamn dump. And surprisingly enough, and I don't know if you knew this, Evan, that set is literally the same house from Slumber Party Massacre 2.
4: Oh, shit. Wait, so uh, like the one, the, the condo that they party in? Yes. In-
0: huh.
5: So, okay. like okay. I had said before, uh, we started talking about part one. This movie was made uh, on the cheap in seven days. He wrote this thing in four, cast it in two. Purely to exploit the fact that this set was going to be torn down and Roger Corman's wife, Julie, wanted to quick make a movie on it before it was torn down.
4: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yet more meta layers to this multiverse.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Earth 2 of Slumber Party Massacre. So anyway, this movie is your typical, you know, five college women by this old place called the hockstatter place where supposedly a ton of murders happened and their next door neighbor orville ketchum saw the entire thing go go down and uh, these girls decide when they first when they move in to hold a seance and they unleash the spirit of hockstatter and we find out if he's alive and actually killing off people or has he possessed someone in the house
7: right and one by
5: one of course people start dying and orville ketchum shows up we think he's the you know he's the red herring that he's killing off everyone but we we come to find out that's just not the case yeah he's the ultimate red herring. oh my god just unbelievable (laughs) there's nothing you haven't seen a million and a half other times before with the plotting of this movie people showing up to get killed one by one by you know a mysterious slasher Right,
4: except uh, let me let me put this forth to you, uh, Derek and listeners. Imagine, if you will. So, say you pick up a random horror movie that that is allegedly not connected to a Nightmare on Elm Street by title in any kind of way, and in this movie, somebody moves into a house on what is it, fourteen twenty eight Elm Street or whatever where Nancy lived. And in this other movie, somebody's like, oh, you better watch out for that house because that's that house where that creepy guy with the hat and the striped sweater killed everybody. Yes. And and the characters who move into the house go, oh, shit, really, buddy? And the guy's like, yes, let me tell you the story while we use a couple of random clips from Nightmare on Elm Street one during my voiceover in which I completely changed the names of the characters, the facts, and everything fucking about what you're seeing to to create this whole new backstory for another movie so that's what you get in Sorority House Massacre 2 these girls, they move into the house that the first one took place in and the guy's like, oh yeah, that guy killed all those people, but then you get some clips from fucking Slumber Party Massacre instead of Sorority 1 (laughs) while he gives you this fucking hammy voiceover and you're like what the fuck is going on you you really have to see it to get how bizarre and goofy it is
5: it is so stupid it is i always say this is like the texas chainsawism where you know a few years ago where they decided to make that movie that was supposed to be the official follow up to the original texas chainsaw but they changed uh, every last detail about what yeah. happened in it
4: it's like oh okay or, are you gonna create the movie that this one is the sequel to as yeah. well so you see that one it, instead it, of just talking about it like it exists
5: like it exists like it, it, okay oh man i don't want to go off into that but it's just like <laughs> it, that fucking so cool. movie and this does the exact same thing but because this movie is so stupid and so ridiculous yeah, you just kind <laughs> of you buy into it
4: Well, especially if you know Slumber Party. So this guy, this creepy red herring neighbor, Orville Ketchum, starts talking about, oh, old Hoxtedder when he killed all those girls. But while he's talking about old Hoxtedder, you're watching Russ Thorne, drill chick in Slumber Party (laughs) Massacre. And you're like, what the fuck is going on?
5: Well, I think, you know, they're kind of hoping that the people had never seen Slumber Party Massacre.
4: Right. Yeah. It's a classic Corman clip show mentality bullshit.
5: Yeah. Pure exploitation. We don't give a fuck if you've seen this. It doesn't matter. The vast majority of people that are going to catch this on Cinemax or catch this DTV have never seen Slumber Party Massacre movie. So we can do whatever the hell we want with this stuff.
4: Yeah. These are free kill scenes that we can put in our movie. Exactly. It's so, Seven minutes. It's already shot. Fellas,
5: it's ready to go. So this Orville Ketchum hangs out in the backdrop looking like a sweaty, gross creep that eats <laughs> like raw meat. He sits yeah. at home watching horror movies, eating raw meat.
4: Oh, yeah. And the horror movies that he's watching are like garbage clip show crap from other Corman movies, I'm sure. Like yes. stuff that got shot and never used, you
5: know its his character is so slimy that oh, through the whole yeah. movie it is so obvious they make it obvious that's a, that he's the killer you know cuz he's just leering at everything yeah. um but we end up finding out toward the end he's not (laughs) spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie and trust me you're not going to be surprised by anything that happens in in, in this movie completely tongue-in-cheek horror comedy uh he's not and he he cannot be killed everyone keeps there's this one hilarious scene later in the movie when we're left with one girl after the rest of, you know, the sorority sisters have been killed off and she's sure that it's Orville Ketchum. And she just keeps stabbing him and hitting him with pans and choking him to death and knocking him unconscious. <laughs> it's just like over and over and over Damn. again. And it's just it's almost like a Looney Tunes movie. It uh,
4: really is. Yeah, it's full blown and He
5: like. just keeps coming back. And eventually when we find out who the killer is. He just keeps yelling Hochstatter so at- good, Hochstatter! <laughs> so
0: fucking good.
5: Absolutely, absolutely love his character. One of the slimiest characters you'll ever see on screen. There's one yes. point where he, he's telling the backstory mm-hmm. of Hochstatter and the house and he looks at the girls and goes, you're gonna be needing this. And he reaches right down into his dick meat and pulls... <laughs> and pulls out a a key to hand them and i gotta ask you would you ever evan ever ever if somebody reached down into their dick folds into the ball sweat and and
0: decided to
5: give you a key would you actually take Uh, that key
0: no
4: no you're gonna have to leave that on the counter buddy (laughs)
5: <laughs> You're going to have to put that in a vat of acid yeah, before I yeah, touch that
4: thing. Yeah. And I love how the, the girl takes it from him like, and looks at it like, oh, gross. And then as soon as he's gone, she turns to her friends and is like, it's still warm. <laughs> <laughs> so good
5: oh it's absolutely oh, amazing so absolutely
4: grimy yeah
5: yeah if you're gonna there's no real like dissection <clears throat> of this movie there's no themes. not really no <laughs> this is seriously a straight-up exploitation film where we why Norsky gets these people into this scenario then promptly and i mean promptly and it makes no sense gets them all naked They all take showers. There's no furniture. There's (laughs) no furniture in this place. It literally looks like squatters have been there. Straight up. They all (laughs) immediately take soapless long showers.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And immediately such like to the point that one girl walks in while the first one is still showering. (laughs) The first one is like, oh, all yours steps out as the second one steps in. (laughs) Just like. Water never gets cut off. Nope. Just.
5: And they complain about how cold the water is. Who literally would be in a cold shower like that? Yes. for Any more than a second. But these right. girls are just sitting there lovingly, you know, making sure mm. the butt is very clean. Their yes. Boobs are super <laughs> yes. clean. Very we, clean. Yeah. We hang on the shot forever.
4: You know, I got to say this. Chuck Sereno's music, man, like, uh, and I put this shit up on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Fucking Jim Wynorski plus Chuck Sereno greater than Christopher Nolan plus Hans Zimmer.
0: Jesus Christ. Okay. All day. All day. <laughs> you is can't that because-
4: fuck with the fucking Sereno Wynorski team up, man. It's great shit.
5: <laughs> is this mostly because the music is playing underneath women that are barely clothed? Is that what this uh, is about? Per- perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps I have a, a deep
4: and never-ending love for chopping mall as well. So.
5: Oh my God, that movie's hilarious too. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt in this movie, as as we had said before. After the, these women all disrobe, the rest of the movie, and we're talking three quarters of this movie, literally is just women in the skimpiest negligee. Mind you, this house looks like the city dump. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody yeah. would be caught. In anything more than 14 in layers no. in this house but these girls they hold a seance on a dirty ass floor in <laughs> negligee you know which makes me realize something i wonder
4: if someone was employed to like buff their butts and feet off every time they sat in that fucking grimy place where they shot that shit
5: who knows all i know is i i was watching that uh the other night with my girlfriend and she was just like no this would never happen no why are they Why are these <laughs> sitting on the dirty ass floor why are they why don't they put some clothes uh, on nope yeah. like, nope this is a jim Wynorski joint they the only thing they're gonna wear for the rest of this movie is just negligee and yeah. you better just damn well enjoy it that's
4: all it's oh, yeah be. yeah oh uh also shout out to the lightning effects
5: you mean the stock image they found of a lightning? Bolt.
4: <laughs> it's like it's like animated or something. It's not even remotely a real shot. I don't know where the fuck they got that, but it looks like it looks like the cover to King Diamond's Abigail. If lightning struck in the background Dude. or something, and it's just this go to like blue sky at night lightning crack shot is so good
5: it's some straight up witchcraft bullshit it's exactly right. what it is and yes funny enough may. they use it in the next film which let's transition over to the next film because honestly they're the same thing Hard to Die in 1990 is essentially exactly the same movie Mm -hmm. as Sorority House Massacre 2 because it used the same script and is a basic remake and it uses half
4: the same women too (laughs)
5: yeah only they switch up some of the roles because in in part 2 and cue, cue boarding house spoiler music this is a warning thank you in, in part two, Melissa Moore, Jessica, the Jessica character, we find out at the end she's possessed by Hockstetter and has killed everybody else off.
4: Right. Yeah, which makes total sense. When you see, like, those uh, kill scenes of, like, the hooked – somebody holding a hook and slamming some chick and blood spurting 20 feet across a room, Melissa Moore could do that.
5: <laughs> oh, she is – like we had said, she's at least 6'2", six 6'3". Six yeah, three. she's a strong woman. So – Hard to Die. <laughs> How I'm going to leave this to you. How do you want to tell the, oh, wow. tell the people okay, the, so, the, <laughs> the plot of Hard to Die, which is essentially the same movie, but a little. Yeah, no, if, if you've been with us and you
4: heard us talk about Sorority House Massacre 2, Hard to Die is Sorority House Massacre 2 in the sense it is a group of uh, young, bodaciously buxom women who arrive at a location – In which a bunch of other women were previously killed by a psycho and then trapped in this location with perhaps that same killer. Ooh, what's going on? Except the twist is uh, something that was just apparently going down in Hollywood in the late 80s or early 90s. It was like, where can we take this series the last one took place, what, in a house? No, fuck that. This one takes place in a skyscraper. Bitch. Uh, and that's like production value, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Even though, like, we get these exterior shots of this skyscraper that this movie allegedly takes place in, and then any random shot on the inside of the place. And you're like, no fucking way is
0: this the same building nope. that we saw in <laughs> that
5: exterior shot. Nope. You, you had the same feeling all the way throughout Sorority House Massacre 2 that the interior, and now and the exterior were two completely separate places.
4: Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh and you know I say it was going around, but Die Hard and I'm thinking about Die Hard cuz obviously hard to die is a fucking play on Die Hard, yep. right? But you know Die Hard started out in a skyscraper. So let me I'll give him that credit. But you know Poltergeist 3, Hard to Die,
5: <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my god. So Oh, man. So this movie, the only angle that's different is these women show up to their job at a negligee company.
4: Right. Do, yeah. Let's fucking boil it down, dude. Let's
5: get it down to the essentials. To a negligee company that, and these, these four or five women show up to do inventory, which means there were two boxes of 90s that were sitting out in an office and they had to each try them on.
4: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Straight up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's half of the same women from sorority house massacre Two, mixed with uh, arguably women who are even fucking more gorgeous than they were in part two.
0: Oh my God.
4: And it's like when you know, they were partying so hard. Oh, you know, there was like some borderline snowblind shit happened on the set of these movies. There had to have been, but you can tell that the dude was like, how can we just how can we do what we just did? But with even more of the parts that are the most fun to me, which are the naked women. (laughs) Well, I think Uh,
5: this being an actual Carmen movie, the budget was upped a little bit on this one, because not only uh, did we bring back some of, you know, the heavy hitters, as you had said, from the, the, uh, second film you have Deborah dutch comes in this thing forced oh, yeah, shows up boy. as dr newton went in a really weird side plot where we explain how <laughs> hopstetter shows up in some ancient artifact
4: he's a fucking wizard now
5: <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ kelly maroney has a bit part in this um Wait, and,
4: whoa, 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 whoa. where's maroney
5: at? oh very bit part very bit part as the wife in uh, one of the sequences, and if you oh if
4: shit, yeah, on the porn
5: set, yep. If you are not paying attention, you won't even notice. And Monique Gabrielle shows up as the CD girl at one point. And scream queen fans of the nineties will know Monique Gabrielle, an yeah. amazingly gorgeous woman.
4: Absolutely, <laughs> so, absolutely.
5: And on top of that, you can tell the budget was up because the entire mm. finale, where again. You know, we have Orville Ketchum showing up and just getting brutalized by the final girl in this movie over and over and over again. He gets stabbed. (laughs) He gets shot repeatedly because all of a sudden, in this high rise, they stumble across a stockpile of automatic weapons. And they stand 10 feet away from each other and just unload clips, endless clips of of, of bullets
4: into Orville Ketchum. Alright, so I have a fucking a rundown of bullet points that <laughs> I jotted down during my last hard to die revisit, which was just a couple of hours ago. And one of the one of my bullet points is AK-47 Slap Fight. <laughs> because they just fucking stand ten feet away from each other with automatic rifles and just fucking empty barrels. Like there's not an attempt to move or get behind nope. anything, it's just like I guess one of us will die first. Nope. <laughs> you know and it never
5: happens. It and never it happens. Never. It <laughs> never happens because the same gimmick happens in this one, where Orville K- or where Hockeyster, his spirit possesses one of the girls, and that's oh, who's yeah. killing everybody off. And then yeah. eventually, Orville Ketchup shows up after being brutalized by the final girl because, of course, he's the <laughs> one who's suspected to be killing everyone because he's a completely slimy, bloody freak who, who yes. grabbed his, in between his dick meat again to get a yes. key out yet, yet again freak. yeah <laughs> yeah so, so every single time he awakens again from death he screams in the hallway
0: <laughs>
5: and they stand 10 feet away from each other with automatic weapons and unload and yeah. this happens like 5 times
0: yeah it happens like 5 times <laughs>
5: So fucking good, man um, Alright,
4: so look Like, can can I run you through these These bullet points Please that I wrote do. down Please do. <laughs> Because they're brief, but I think some of them Are alright So, uh, you know, the first thing I wrote down, we already talked about, which is that Orville Ketchum is the watcher of the slumber party Sorority house massacre multiverse um, But the second thing I wrote down was just Horseshit props Oh, geez. And so you talk about the budget and it's funny because you can see where it goes. Like his his budget went to, all right, let me bring these women back, probably pay them a little bit more to do a little bit more. And then he, he brought in some other women who are so like if Sorority House Massacre 2 is a lot of kind of like soft core TNA women that he cast in in Hard to Die. He got some actual porn actresses, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I feel like that's part of him taking it to another level. He was like, how, how can we make this party on set like even more raging? Can we get some girls in here who fuck on camera for money? <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause probably in Winorski's head, he was like, that's fucking cranking this party right up. You know what I mean?
5: Well, uh, we ironically did. enough, ironically enough, there's a sequence where in in Sorority House Massacre 2, there was a stupid cop side plot where all of a sudden they had to go interrogate <laughs> a stripper at a strip club. So we yes. have the obligatory uh, Jim Wynorski stripper club set in somebody's living room uh, scene, and yep. it gets switched out in Hard to Die with the bumbling cops show up to a porno set where jim winorski plays himself as a director of a porno
4: man i fucking knew that was him and i did not look it up i was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you if either that was winorski or if the um cop at the end was winorski but then i saw that the cop was rob sheridan
5: yep was, no, okay that's Wainorski for sure
4: Yes, uh, and speaking of that, you know uh, Jürgen Baum, our guy who plays the cop in in both of these movies. I, one of my bullet points is just Jürgen Baum for the Oscar
5: <laughs> before <laughs> before Peter Sellis. You're gonna you're gonna sell out our boy, or we catch him. You're, oh. gonna, play, you're <laughs> no, gonna.
0: No, 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 no.
5: That's like
4: no. That's like the blackest sarcasm ever. <laughs> that guy is so awful but he like he really owns it i don't know he he comes somehow comes off like he knows that he's awful let's
5: (laughs) let's be honest the the cop subplot is only there to take us in part two to a strip club and part in part three to a porno set there's no other reason for that to be there
4: yeah and in a weird way um so like in you know the strip club is obviously always a setup just to get some more booby on camera. Um but the weird thing about the porn set in Hard to Die is that there isn't any fucking well, I think Monique Gabrielle's like wearing a net a fishnet topper or mm-hmm. so see through top or something. Yeah. But there's other than that, there's nothing going on. It's more like for jokes. I imagine that he like I wouldn't wouldn't think that there was any more money in this one. Like I would have thought there was less, but when you say that there was more, I'm like, no, I get that. I get that because of the amount of pyro and squibs that are at the end and and with the cast and the size of the cast and everything. Maybe there was more money here, but he—you can see exactly where he put it, yep. and everywhere he not put it.
5: <laughs> oh my god, it's—it's it's all so cheap.
4: The whole fucking movie. anytime, time, and again, like this was like the fifth time I've watched Hard to Die in the past two months, and the first time that I noticed what absolute fucking gutter trash the set <laughs> and the props are, and it's because the women are so banging. Yeah. that you don't look at anything else
5: dude you're not paying attention you do not care that this thing looks like it was pounded out on a public access TV no, set no
4: no it fucking cracked me up man I was watching it uh, with my fiance earlier and I go holy shit look at this and I backed it up and I was like look at this elevator and I throw quotation marks around elevator right <laughs> they step into this fucking elevator and the doors close on it and it's obviously two sheets of plywood that have been spray painted black and they've been spray painted like in the past couple hours because half of it's not dry yet. (laughs) And then like the interior shots of the elevator, there's this weird like fabric padded backing behind them. And occasionally one of them will hit it with their ass and the whole wall moves. (laughs) And you're just like, yeah, that's not an elevator. No, not even remotely. Um, Nothing in it. And then once I started paying attention, I was like, holy fuck, man. About about every wall you see on this set is clearly freshly painted because half of it is still wet. And <sighs> it's like you can see the striations of the plywood underneath the <laughs> the fucking spray paint. It's so good. Dude. There's a part where the chicks are in the – when they first get in the shower, right? Yeah. And they try to do some horseshit, uh, suspenseful, shaking doorknob. Thing, you know, and they do a close up on this doorknob, and yeah. my bullet point simply says close up on doorknob. Not even a doorknob. Nope. It's a fucking like a wooden uh, a, a sphere of lumber glued on to a piece of two by four glued on to another two by four, and shot in a close up with some sound effects like it's a
5: fucking doorknob. It's not. It's <laughs> shocking. It's absolutely it's shocking. Amazing. So good. Could could be some of the reason why this movie is not in currently in circulation whatsoever.
0: <laughs> perhaps.
5: Perhaps. Single, it was literally thrown together with 20 cents and you know paper oh, clips. But, How about uh, the voodoo clip show?
4: How about the crap with uh Forrest Ackerman? In oh my god! Okay, so see where he's like, what is is that some shit from some other Corman movie that he needed to
5: use somewhere? Oh no, this this was specifically shot for this movie. So we got uh Holy it, shit. in in part two, the angle to get um Hockstadter on was the séance. In Hard to Die, the whole angle is for Ackerman. plays this kind of like anthropologist or occultist that is going around collecting you know uh haunted items and this haunted box that is holding very flimsily holding hockstatter's evil (laughs) spirit accidentally gets delivered to to the negligee company in the high rise To, to which the ladies of course oh, thinking shit. it's just some box decide to open it up and let his spirit out everywhere Killed and man. force yeah. ackerman just goes oh no that was meant <laughs> for me yeah. it's just fucking oh. ridiculous absolutely and, and of course it's some and then they shoot the as you're re- referring to they shoot the most 10 cent voodoo ritual sequence <laughs> to, to, to give like backdrop to this stupid angle.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, so my hot bullet point in reference to all of this that you just mentioned is uh 13 ghosts of Scooby Doo bullshit.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's
4: just like this weird magic chest, which granted, when they open the chest and there's that like old school animated uh visual effect, it's really actually rad. And and you're like, well, that looks like, uh, that's like the best looking thing in this whole
5: movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's not saying much. Mm -mm. So no, not at all. No. So before we we get to judging whether or not part two or three is better, because I really think you got to choose one. You have to choose one. Oh, shit. You have to absolutely (laughs) choose one because they're the same movie. And I had a tough time like watching them back to back because it's just like oh man I'm just watching the same movie again what did you think of the women besides the fact that they were obviously gorgeous and they were just barely in anything compared to the first one where the women like everyone was given you know a character they were treated with respect you actually absolutely cared about them what did you think about the women and how they were portrayed in in these movies
6: (laughs) I,
4: it's, it's a tough call, man. I feel like obviously on paper, <clears throat> there was nothing to it. You know, there, 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 are no characters in the script, but I feel like the, the actors themselves, the women themselves bring a bit of, of character to the parts. And also, Like the way that they go about it, especially uh, Debra Dare or uh, does she go by Dutch in Mm -hmm. Hard to Die?
5: Yeah, Deborah Dutch in this one.
4: Um, Dutch, just like she owns it, man. Like she she comes off. I mean, she reads these lines where like uh, there's a part towards the end of Hard to Die when they they've knocked Orville Ketchum off the roof of the building fucking Alan Rickman style. Holy shit. We're
5: talking like 30, 40 floors. This guy falls straight down to the (laughs) dirt.
4: Uh, Well, according to the exterior establishing, establishing shot. Sure. Yeah. But when you actually see it, it's like four stories or something. Right. right. But yeah. So like, uh, you know, they not catch him off. And then she says something like, I just want to get my clothes on and get the fuck out of here or something. And like, the way she delivers that line is like she's well aware of the movie that she's in, and the tone and the the comedy that they're presenting, and that just makes it it brings like a sort of strange respectability to it, you know. Like it's one thing for me to watch a Winorski joint and feel like these women were paid for their job, and that's mm-hmm. all there was to it, and they might not have even enjoyed it that much. Yeah. But when you you watch these, especially hard to die it just seems like they were all having fun absolutely you know
5: yeah i think on both of them that's the key is that i think everyone was having a lot of fun uh the thing about hard to die which kind of gives it a little bit of an ups is the fact that these scenes where the women are just how often do you see women using automatic weapons in movies outside of an andy sedaris film
4: right yes yeah yeah. so you
5: never see them as sort of action stars and toward toward the end of this thing when the final girl basically just starts brutalizing Orville Ketchum and starts shooting automatic machine guns there's something kind of like empowering about that even though you can't really go that far and give it that much credit because of course yeah they're still in negligee they're still barely wearing (laughs) it
4: anything right. so this is yeah. nothing
5: but an exploitation pop
4: right it does have a strange sort of tonal and eh, not really it, it's not really a tonal shift because it's so fucking brief you know c- when you put it in the context of the whole thing but when uh you know as we've already explained um cue boarding house music <laughs> this is a warning thank you the uh in hard to die yet again hockstetter his spirit is back possessing people and turning them into killers, but he's like a fucking wizard in this movie. <laughs> so, when it turns out to be the secretary, Diana, at the end, and she steps out of that elevator with her very own AK 47, and she's like speaking in Hochstetter's voice, something about that shit is, it's like dead on unnerving to me. And it, it really reminds me of the end of Sleepaway Camp. Sure how it's just like it sort of turns on a dime and you're like, oh fuck,
5: what What's am that? I watching? It's that, yeah, it's that pitch shifting that they do with the voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: yeah, it's her it's her voice and her delivery too. You know, like she She's not really doing it for laughs or, or maybe it's just the voice, the, you know, alone, which makes it come off like not funny. I think so. But all of a sudden it's not fucking funny anymore. And it's like really kind of weird and unnerving.
5: Yeah, I agree with you. I felt the same way each time I watched these. And it, the same thing happens in part two as well with Melissa Moore. Right.
0: Yep.
4: Yeah, true, true. Yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so when you get those, you know, uh, I mean, any movie fan will tell you that the the sight of. Any actor holding a fully automatic weapon with their face being strobed by fucking, you know, muzzle flash. You know, that's just a fucking cool, empowering cinematic image. We Mm -hmm. all know what that shit means. We know that means badass. Yeah. And when you see these two women... 10 feet away from each other, just fucking unloading AK 47s into each other's chests like with no fucking repercussions. Yep. It's just badass, you know, something about and they're you know, like mouth open, fucking teeth gritted, screaming in the muzzle flash. It's just cool.
5: So having said this, Evan, this is where I put you on the spot. Oof. When you put the two films next to each other, because we are talking about remakes. Is it going to be, are you going to choose Sorority House Massacre 2 or Hard to Die?
0: Oh, fuck.
5: (laughs) I can't, I can't, like, I cannot downplay that these movies are the exact movie. (laughs) Right,
4: yes. I I, I mean,
5: we're talking structure, even shots, how it's paced, the way it resolves itself. You can tell these movies were made within months of each other. And And they are – there is nothing different other than the final conclusion in the set. It is the exact same movie. So really, you're only going to watch one of these two. (laughs) You're only going to kind of like, well, which one would I – if I decide to rewatch these, which one would I choose to put on? And what would that be for you?
4: Oh, man. It's a really, really, really fucking tough call because – Deborah Dutch is in Hard to Die. uh, And she's just one of the most incredible looking human beings I've ever seen in (laughs) my life. Um, And so that it it makes me want to choose Hard to Die just for her. But um, I think I, I probably, I guess, prefer the like actual horror, the actual attempt at a horror movie that sorority house massacre two is where it's hard to die is a full blown comedy. Oh, absolutely. You know, it doesn't even fuck around uh, with trying to be a a horror movie, you know, not really. And I think like, because of that wonderful mix of tone and all the, like the goth feel from the constantly reused lightning strike scene (laughs) uh, and Chuck Sereno's sweet fucking Casio tones. Yeah. Like all of that, I, something about that the the vibe of part two just has this like it reminds me of castlevania on nes in a a way just like um it just hits the right spot for me that said though like hard to die is gold (laughs) like it's a hair behind just
0: just behind it
5: i know people that are you know true blue to the wool hard to die freaks like they love this movie and i really truly think it's going to depend on which movie you see first yeah yeah for me i'm with you sorority house massacre 2 for me wins out of the two because i feel it's a more focused movie and i also i also even having said that the the last act of hard to die goes so far off the rails that it's just some of the most ridiculous stuff you'll ever see in your entire life oh
4: yeah yeah no it's like uh, like fucking Trey Parker or Matt Stone levels of absurdity it's just, so
5: stupid it is so ridiculous yeah. having even having said that I think Sorority House Massacre 2 is more consistently funny I think it's more yeah I think it's more focused I, I think it's light lighter hearted and it's just to me it flies by I adore Sorority House Massacre 2. It is one of my favorite trash movies of all time.
4: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, f- I feel like a lot of that that comedy was structured and it was on the page, at least somewhat. Whereas, you know, it sounds a lot like uh, from what you're quoting Wynorski as having said about Hard to Die, <clears throat> the comedy on Hard to Die came from the like, well, how can we make this stupid as
5: fuck? Yep. That's exactly it. The more you read about this, it's like, well, I took this to further extremes. I just wanted to push it as far as I could go because I could.
4: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I fucking love it. I love it. But uh, I'd have to go with part two, you know.
5: Yeah. So I guess, listeners, what I'm going to posit to you all is that would you rather have if you're a fan of Andy Sedaris movies, Hard Ticket (laughs) to Hawaii, you know, Picasso Trigger, things of that nature. Watch Hard to Die. You're Fuck going to enjoy it. Hard to Die. I think that's Hell going to yeah. be your gimmick. If you're yeah. more into just really stupid, funny, light, and this was prevalent mostly in the late 80s and early 90s. Those soft horror titty flicks with some comedy, you're going in a lot of those movies. You know, it had Brink Stevens and Michelle Bauer in them, and they <laughs> yeah. and Fred Olin Ray directed these things, and Jim Wynorski directed a bunch of them. But Sorority House Massacre is go- 2 is going to be your bag.
4: Yeah, for sure.
5: That's kind of how I mm. would break it up. But they are both wildly fun.
4: Yes, they are.
5: But don't watch them one after another. <laughs> I, give, I would not recommend it. Give yourself some
4: space. Yeah, yeah, give yourself some space for sure.
5: Yeah. And <laughs> so I think if you need, if you're one of these people that have gatherings with your friends. Oh, yeah. And you need a movie in your <clears throat> back pocket that the rest of them haven't seen, that you know is going to be a party favorite, either one of these movies will work.
4: Absolutely. Yep. I'm, I'm planning on it. Like the my group of friends who I get together at least once a year to do slumber party we're fucking doing sorority two and hard to die next. <laughs>
5: oh, don't play them at the same party. Split it up, <laughs> split it up, do it for one year and then yeah, do one of them. Yeah, for the next you're year. right.
4: You're right. Yeah. let will save it. We'll save yeah. some magic.
5: Because I think that the true fun about it is, and, and most, you know, horror fans that aren't aware of, you know, the origins of these movies don't realize that they're actually connecting part of the same series is that you could bring it and like, oh man, I got this great movie hard to die. And then they start watching. It's like, Oh, uh, wait a second. <laughs> starts, they start realizing, oh, this is the same fucking movie again. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I think that would be a great gimmick. I think you do. Yeah. That. So anyways, we're going to wrap this thing up. And uh, next, we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more with uh, Evan Shelton from the Lurking Transmission. We're going to allow. For the first time, I would say in almost three years, Mr. Andrew Shearer to talk on Astro Radio Z about his adoring love for the Sorority House Massacre movie. So let's take a little break. Listen to my dear friend, Andrew Shearer. And when we come back, you'll get to hear Evan chat a little bit more, maybe about negligee women with machine guns. We'll see. We'll see. So let's take a break.
7: Good evening. This is Kevin Tent with tonight's news break. Suspected mass murderer Orville Ketchum was released today from the prison ward of County General Hospital.
4: Despite being apprehended at the scene of last month's brutal slayings of five teenage girls, Ketchum was freed when sheriff's detectives were unable to accumulate enough evidence to prosecute him.
7: Outside
2: the hospital today, a joyous and fully recovered Ketchum reiterated his innocence and waved to reporters on his way back home. Good luck, Orville.
7: Hi, Astro Radio Zombies. This is Andrew Shearer, director of Space Boobs in Space and um, Bad Girl Dracula, among other wonderful classics. Uh, Here to talk about my favorite in the weirdly connected world of Sorority House Massacre, which I'm sure Derek or someone else has already researched and explained the weird way these are connected to the Slumber Party Massacre movies and all of that other funny stuff. Um, so back in uh, junior high school, Fangoria put out this um, issue that focused, on, or, or, it focused on scream queens. I don't know if that was the cover story or not, but yeah, it was. It was uh, my my world changed by reading this article, and um, it wasn't unusual to have um, you know articles or interviews with women from horror film. Usually, it was the final girl types or the ones that were, uh, you know, in the more popular movies and stuff, like Friday the 13th and, and whatever. And so um, the women that they interviewed for uh, this particular issue um, had been in a lot of stuff that I hadn't seen, and my mind was just blown, I, and, and I wanted to see every single one of them. Um, you know, they had the big three, Brink Stevens, Linnea Quigley, and Michelle Bauer. Who? Let's not make any mistake here. Those are the original Scream Queens. That those three. If anybody ever asks you. Um, but there are other women uh, that were profiled in the issue and interviewed. And um, there was people like uh, Deborah Foreman. Um, there was uh, Monique Gabrielle, and there was uh, and there was Melissa Ann Moore. And if memory serves, Melissa Ann Moore was the one that I focused on for some reason. Uh, she was probably the tallest. She's at least six feet tall. Um, but she also had this thing where she, she just looked kind of, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, she looked kind of plain and average uh, and compared to the rest of them. So I can't really tell you um, what it was about her that, uh, that necessarily caught my eye. But, um, yeah, I immediately wanted to watch uh, everything that she was in. And so, um, I saw uh, Sorority House Massacre 2. I saw Invisible Maniac. And I saw Hard to Die. And I want to say I saw some of these older ones. um, I guess uh, Evil Spawn. But um, the thing that made Sorority House Massacre 2 so special is that twist that happens In the final act of the film, I would say the last, like, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the movie are just really unusual uh, for something like this. And Jim Wynorski, of course, knows uh, the template for stuff like this. He knows about slashers and everybody watching them by the time of the late 80s was really aware of the formula for this. And this is that you have these, the scantily clad um, young ladies... And they are being terrorized by some man with uh, some sort of a blunt object. And uh, that's exactly what happens in this. However, um, the unkillable uh, guy that they think is responsible for all the murders and stuff in these movies normally is. Um, and if there's a red herring, it's probably another guy. Very rarely is it some lady. And if it is, she's older. But... Um, It was wild, and it still is wild, to see um, the uh, supernatural element of possession that happens in Sorority House Massacre 2. Because if memory serves, Slumber Party Massacre did not have a supernatural element to it. I might be wrong there. I haven't seen them in a couple of years. Uh, I'm talking about the first one. Um, So... Uh, what Melissa Ann Moore gets to do is very different from what the other women in the movie uh, get to do. In that, in the final act of the movie, she gets to become possessed by the killer from Slumber Party Massacre and become the villain of this movie. So, I feel like that role of uh, Jessica, and I know it's Jessica because uh, her castmates say her name like a lot of times. Um, she gets to, yeah, she gets to run around with the, with the knife and she gets to be like s- slash people and terrorize people and, and, um, you know, say the, the killers one liners, you know, that was a thing back then. Uh, it's definitely influenced by Freddie, which everything should be. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I just, it really had an impact on me reading those interviews And having them interviewed like that in a magazine um, really showed them uh, in a more serious light. Uh, I think it told my young brain to take these people just as seriously as any other actor or makeup effects artist or any other thing that you've read in these magazines. Um, It put them, I felt, on like kind of equal footing in my head and thus made me take them a lot more seriously. And from really from then on, uh, the lasting impact of this stuff... Uh, was that um, I uh, I wanted to do once I became became someone who was making their own movies? I really wanted to make sure that um, I gave uh, roles to women that were interesting, that weren't just the run around and get killed variety. I really wanted them to be uh, you know central to the story and not necessarily pursued by some guy. Um, specifically the impact that Sorority House Massacre 2 had on, uh, on the movies I made began with um, the wardrobe for uh, my movie Blood Witch from 2008, which ended up on the um, Faces of Schlock compilation, which was released by uh, Pop Cinema. And um, I had the main character of that was a kind of a, a really mean um, goth ish sort of person kind of a punk and she walks around in the entire movie wearing uh bloody white underwear and that was a definite reference to um the uh hero character in a sorority house massacre 2 that um, runs around for a very long time in uh in bloody underwear and so they're bloody in my movie for a very different reason of course you're welcome Um, but the other movie that, that it would have a big influence on, and this was later was a movie I did called pajama nightmare. And, uh, in this movie, I actually had, um, a kind of a twist of my own, but I wanted the movie to have this guy who the women scantily clad women in the film, um, were, uh, sort of in danger from, and, um, I did that same type of thing where you think it's this guy who's the murderer, but Oh, it's not, it's something else. And, uh, I don't want to necessarily spoil that cause I hope someone out there would take some interest in the movie, but, um, that's, uh, this, the scream queen stuff of this era, these late eighties movies for me, um, they were just really, really important and left an impression on my brain. And it was not, you know, the, let's just say that someone who was the age that I was, around 13 or so, was um, renting movies or watching movies late now on cable just to see the shower scenes, which Wynorski will give you, absolutely. He gives you wet t-shirts and all of that stuff. And uh, lots of brawless uh, running around and gesturing to create maximum jiggle. Wynorski, of course, knows exactly who he's making these movies for. Uh, really for himself, uh, that's that's what he likes, and so um, instead of just w- if you if you just watch Sorority House Massacre 2 for that, um, you'll get it, but you won't get the best stuff. The best stuff is at the end, and I don't know who stayed for the end, but the end is my favorite. Uh, that last bit is my favorite, and that's that is because uh, I feel the acting is great, the performances are great, but man, Melissa and Moore, uh, she got to really do. A lot more stuff and she was i think great at it and uh to my memory was the only time she ever got to play something like that and um that makes it stand out even more so absolutely love sorority house massacre 2 and um thank you for listening
1: you are listening to astro radio z
5: So, cool, cool. <laughs> Evan, thanks for coming on, man. Oh, no, it's been a blast, dude. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for introducing me
4: to these, because I I don't know if I would have given the first one another shot, you know, if if you hadn't wanted to do this.
5: I, I got to be very honest with you. It's been a really long time since I've seen the three of these movies um i think the first time i had watched them was way back in the day and i rented them and it just wasn't my thing i wasn't i was more of a hardened ghoul i wanted to see ghoul right movies. Yeah, yeah yeah it wasn't until i started getting a little older and a little goofier where i kind of liked it like the more light-hearted stuff
0: right and right
5: th- these movies all just hit the spot even though we had said you know sorority house massacre one is definitely aimed toward being a horror movie yeah um I really love these three movies and the the older I'm getting, the more and more these are kind of endearing to me. I don't. And it's weird because I don't like these types of movies at all. But I had a blast revisiting these movies for this episode. Yeah, man. So wrapping this up. Is there anything, this is the portion of the show where my guest shamelessly shills the fuck out of you people, Evan. It's been a while since I've seen you actually come out with anything <laughs> until this week. <clears throat> All of a sudden, my phone is telling me there's new episodes of The Lurking Transmission. What took you so long to bring out some new episodes?
4: Uh, well, first off, I just kind of I, I shifted away from trying to hit any sort of regular <clears throat> schedule with Lurking. And focused a bit on my ongoing series, Weird Out Here. And then got into the whole fucking chat show talking about movies thing. And I tried to just branch out and turn lurking transmission into a, like a production house kind of thing. You know, a a banner for all the shit that I was doing. And then, honestly, you know, fucking uh, pandemic and George Floyd happened and derailed my shit for months. Oh, yeah. It's uh. It's it's tough, man. It's tough to <clears throat> stay focused on uh, telling stories to people when there's real shit happening outside, yep. you know, and I, and I don't always feel like because I'm not the kind of writer who I don't sit down at the keyboard to say a thing, you know, most of the time, 99 percent of the time when I sit down at the keyboard. I just want to scare you, disturb you, gross you out any of those things that I can pull off. You know, in the name of of being a horror writer, that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, to be that kind of just like entertainment only kind of guy or, or that's the way I think about it. Sometimes the, I get done with them and I'm like, oh, shit, I've said a thing. I didn't realize this story was about that or whatever. But I, that's never my aim. My, my aim is just to, to make you feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and that's hard to do when everyone feels bad because of the shit you see on your phone every day. Yeah, you know what I mean. I agree. <clears throat> and it's it's really hard to like get fired up about kicking people in the nuts with horror stories when real life is kicking us all in the nuts regularly. Oh. I
5: I couldn't agree with you more. That's kind of some of the reason why also I haven't really been too anxious to get another episode of Astro Radio Z out as well. Um on on the Patreon, not to sit and like focus on on this too much, but on the Patreon I started a new podcast called Worst Movies Ever where my subscribers give me what they feel are the worst movies that have ever been produced and then episode to episode it's like almost like a diary Style podcasts, I'll watch them And then talk about them but I'm mostly talking About me and trying to sort Through the fact that we're in like A period of time right Now where There's a whole lot of negativity Going on and how do we kind of sort through That and make Kind of some of these frivolous things that we are, you know, that you and I as people that are producing content that that we tend to focus on, you know, like these podcasts and watching these really frivolous movies that we that we watch, even though we enjoy them and we've made them kind of part of our character. um, What is like what is the need for this when there's really some awful, terrible stuff going on right. so um, yeah. that's kind of yeah. made me kind of cut back on astral radio z a little bit because i just haven't really seen the point right in it too much there's yeah. there's things other thing. i understand escapism and i understand you know people needing to take their minds off of what's going on out there but i think of any period in time people need to pay attention right hmm. now they need to yeah. rally up they need to to um be good to each other and figure out how we can get out of this.
4: Exactly, man. Exactly. So I can understand,
5: go ahead. No, (laughs) Nope. I can understand where you're coming from with that. Right. Completely. Yeah.
4: And then, yeah. And so the, the reason, um, you know, I got a a new lurking out is because uh, I took the episode that I had been slow cooking for months. That was going to be my episode 10. And I was like, you know, this is not, it's not really what I want to say right now. I want to maybe fucking sit down at the keyboard with the intent to say something, you know, cause I'm fucking mad, man. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, shit is disgusting out there and I'm, I'm not happy with it. And, uh, if there's anything that I can do about it, I will. And, um, so, so I sat down with some shit to say and, uh, and episode 10 is what came out and it's got um, it's only been out since like late last, I dropped it in the middle of the night last night. And yep. I've uh, I got a shit ton of plays on it and more traffic on it than I normally get on a debut. And a lot of people telling me it's like the best episode ever, which is not really what I feel. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad that people think that. And I'm glad that, uh, that when I felt like saying something that it translated and it, um, cause that's the thing, man, when you're a writer it, for me, especially, like, I don't want to say a thing if it's not going to translate to your heart. If, if I don't want to half ass a thing and it, it's, it's really tough communication on a basic level is very, very tough. And when we try and translate these big ideas and these feelings between us, uh, that's even harder than just a fucking normal conversation, which is already tough. Yeah. You know? And so it feels like really, really vulnerable for me to put that out there. Um, But it also just felt like some some shit I needed to fucking say because I'm mad, you know, and and so that's why that's why it's out there. Um, And then, uh, you know, we're coming up on the Halloween Halloween season. So I'm going to have plenty more coming because I always hit it hard around Halloween.
5: I appreciate what you do with the lurking transmission. And uh, I'm really excited that you put out a new episode. I got to be honest. I haven't heard it yet because it just dropped today. Um, so I, I can't wait to hear it. And also, I, I want you to pimp your Patreon with um, the Ritual Light and Sound, which honestly is one of my favorite film discussion podcasts that are out there right now. I think what you're doing with the genre and sitting and breaking down films and looking at them from a cultist standpoint uh, with esoterica and maybe some conspiracy stuff. I almost felt very self-conscious when I started listening to the subsequent ep- episodes that came out after I was on. Like, man, I sh- I really shouldn't have been on this podcast no, no I, I really no. i really don't think i had the perspective that the rest of the guests had and i kind of feel like i cheated you out of a good episode
4: no no it was yeah it was especially perfect for the whole stranger things thing because that was like a more esoterica conspiracy stuff and i think we, we all have at least a, a surface familiarity with that oh sure know? And it's funny because like my newest one, the one I recorded a couple weeks ago and I'm hoping to get out this weekend is on Carly Kaufman's Synecdoche, New York. Mm-hmm. And so I brought my buddy Kane on who is uh, a fellow practitioner and black metal artist, and the like two and a half hour chat that I was in, and left with is so fucking bonkers, fucking weird that it needs <laughs> it needs like a footnote podcast to explain all the crap we're talking about. You know, so like it, it's a it's a better formula with when somebody comes in from a more grounded take. <laughs>
5: well i appreciate that i i still feel that my episode probably i was the weakest guest you've had on no but, hell no but i really adore that podcast and uh would you like <laughs> Thank to tell you so much man. I, I, would you like to tell my listeners a little bit more about what you got going on with uh with your patreon and with with this other stuff that you're producing
4: sure man um so you can find my patreon at the lurking transmission presents that is the name of the patreon and uh under that banner, I put out um, Lurking Transmission, which is my horror anthology podcast. I like to call it uh, the black metal creep show in audio form. Um, but then I also do Ritual Light and Sound, which is my, like you said, talk show about films where I approach things from an, an occult practitioner angle. And I, I try and focus on films that have a, an element of occultism, esoterica, conspiracy theory, whatever those are weird sort of fringe areas and really just dig into like that part of the film instead of just talking about the film the way another podcast would because I just like don't see that you know and I wanted that I wanted that podcast and and wasn't able to find it because especially in horror I mean so much of it is is heavily influenced by occult and esoteric stuff Um, just thought it was interesting
0: and
4: Mm -hmm. uh, so I really really appreciate that man because I feel like I feel like nine out of ten people who hit play on Ritual Light and Sound are like, what the fuck? Like, I just I just wanted to hear him talk
5: about Michael Myers. Like, oh, no, dude, it's wildly entertaining for me, especially because, you know, my background and what my core beliefs are to sit right. and, and hear somebody go full gimmick and go all the way in. And, and what I mean right. by full gimmick, it, I don't mean that. Disrespectfully. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I got you. It, yep. it, is, the, is that it, it's wildly interesting to me to hear the depths to which you guys go and I thought there's a couple episodes primarily the hellraiser episode that I thought were just so wonderful to sit oh, yeah. and listen to the the directions you guys took um the meaning of certain symbols and and practices and rituals that are being showcased within the films that it it, it, it kind of gave a new meaning to a lot of what I had previously thought was fairly straight laced straightforward kind of stuff so I love it I I couldn't wait I can't wait for a, a new episode and I've been waiting it's been a while
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was that hoping, that
4: thing, like right before fucking pandemic and George Floyd, and and I was like, yeah, we, this will be fun. Talk about movies, and then it was like, oh fuck, I don't want to talk about movies. Yeah,
5: <laughs> I don't blame you, dude. I don't blame you, and that's kind of what this whole heavy conversations about. It's just like you know, yeah. a lot of this is just kind of frivolous, you know. But we all do need that escape, and um,
4: yeah, yeah, the- we do.
5: So I appreciate yeah. what you do And I really appreciate you coming on I, yeah. I'm glad we finally got to it I don't know when I'm going to be coming back With another episode of Astro Radio Z So in the meantime listeners And this is the part portion where I'm going to Show myself a little bit here um, yeah. If you are sick to death The fact that I am not producing a, a weekly podcast or even a monthly podcast. And you want to hear more of Astro Radio Z, please go over to patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z. I am producing almost daily podcasts there. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And and they're weird and they're goofy and they're a little more <laughs> sin- <lots>
4: of fun. <laughs>
5: and they're a little more sincere than uh the, some of the stuff that we do here on Astro Radio Z. And I only say that in a way that it's a little more Um, Reality base. It's a little more down to earth than uh, Astral Radio Z. I tend to keep light not very political uh, and uh, I just leave it basically the movies and we have a lot of fun with the shit that's going on here but over at the Patreon it's a little different so uh, if you want to hear more stuff like that uh, go over to the Patreon and uh, for the low price of a dollar you can get a whole lot of content I'm constantly producing it so I appreciate everyone that's tuned in appreciate everyone that that gives us the time of day but uh, here's another episode of Astro Radio Z and uh, thanks for coming Evan and uh, we'll catch you all next time
4: you're so very welcome man and hey look i I gotta say this because i fucking love andrew shearer and his work um in case the man didn't include a plug for himself and his recorded bit that you're gonna use people please go and check out andrew shearer His films, everything that he's up to as a critic is all just some of the best stuff going on in genre film. The guy has got wonderful opinions, a fucking sharp wit, and a huge heart. He's a great guy.
5: Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. He's got a brand new film out. Gonzarific just came out with another anthology yearly. And even a couple times a year, he comes out with anthology films of his short films under the banner of Gonzarific. And they just came out with a new one called Areola Jones.
4: Fuck yeah! I'm and the home for-
5: video vixens. Uh, I saw you
4: have on your Plex. So I'm fucking
5: set. Amazing! It's fun. They're always a good time, and uh, Very cool. I couldn't recommend them enough. So that's it. I hope you guys all take care of yourselves and each other, and uh, we'll catch you next time here on Astro Radio Z. See
4: you next time.